Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Good morning, everybody. 10 o'clock, rainy Saturday morning, 94 WIP. I'm Glenn McNair, along with my pal Mike Sielski. Mike? Glenn. First of all. Uh, lovely time last night. Went to dinner with the wives. It was terrific. Yeah. Absolutely terrific. Plays Bridget's up in Ambler. Had a terrific time. And my gosh, you treated us, which was the nicest thing anybody's done in a long time. Very, very appreciative. We are here to serve. Uh, anyway, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But we are now, Mike, six days beyond the debacle. <laughs> and let's assess where we are. Actually, let me just start by reviewing, and then I'll, I'll hand it to you. Okay. All right, everybody, be ready. Sixers collapse in game six. They get humiliated in game seven uh, as all the confidence that Joel Embiid was going to make the process pay off one a day now looks very much in doubt. Two days later, two days later, Doc Rivers, Mm -hmm. the guy who was brought in to get him past the second round, he gets canned after three straight exits in the second round. Uh, This came after Embiid gave Harden his Full, I mean, gave Rivers, excuse me, his full endorsement after Game 7, uh, while James Harden did his best to push Doc out the door. Uh, and then, uh, as we move forward on Thursday, Harden uh, news comes out that Harden is going to opt out of his contract, likely head back to Houston in free agency, uh, except the Sixers, at least based off what you might infer from Daryl Morey's hideous <laughs> performance at a news conference, uh, say, hey, they want to run it back again, and so uh, this part I'm making up, three years, $120 million, whatever it is, uh, this time under a new coach who now will change the dynamic and make Embiid uh, into a postseason player. Oh, what a freaking franchise. What a culture. Um, <laughs> Mike, did I leave anything out, and do you disagree with any of that assessment? Uh, I don't think you left anything out. I don't disagree with most of it. I think and I wrote this this past week in the aftermath of the loss and the aftermath of the press conference. I think a lot of this comes down to Joel Embiid and James Harden. That is that is why everyone is so frustrated right now. If you would t- ask people at the beginning of the season, how far do you think the Sixers will go and what their performance would be during the regular season, I think most people would have said they'll probably win more than 50 games and they'll probably lose in the second round of the playoffs to either the Celtics or the Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> and guess what? We ended up there. That's not, for pe- most people, I think, and for the Sixers themselves, that's not the issue. The issue is how they got there. The fact that they were at leading that series against the Celtics three games to two, had a lead late, 
let it go and perform so badly in Game 7. And that, to me, is what brings this back to Embiid and Harden. Glenn, I'm a big believer that the primary driver of culture, particularly, mostly in pro sports, but particularly in the NBA, is your star players. It is not your coach, okay? There are very few coaches who come in and are tone setters and really change the way a team performs and operates. They have one in Miami with Eric Spolster, but he's backed up by Pat Riley. Uh, Larry Brown could be one. He could take you, me, and 10 one-eyed kangaroos, and we could win 50 games in the NBA. The issue the Sixers have is, I think, James Harden, who revealed who James Harden has always been in these playoffs, and the fact that Joel Embiid, while he is a great player and the reigning MVP, is missing a little something that separates the truly great players from the pretty great players. All right, let's 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 take those one at a time then. So let's start with Harden and work our way toward Embiid. Uh, I think the possibility, which is probably way under 50-50, of re-signing James Harden to a contract for the future, a three-year deal, a four-year deal, could prove to be one of the biggest disasters in Philadelphia history. Do we all agree, you, me, Dan Wilson, the world at large, that the opportunity to get away from James Harden may be the best thing they got going right now? I'm struggling to understand why people who back the idea of the process because the process would create flexibility with your roster now suddenly think the Sixers have no choice but to sign James Harden. I understand that Joel Embiid's in his prime. You want to take advantage of his prime. But if you re-sign Harden, you are locking yourself into him for, what, three, four years at a, at a price that is going to be prohibitive by the end of that contract. I would walk away. Okay. And I think I think most people agree. I don't know. We'll see. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. We'll see if people agree. He had the great game early in the series. He yeah. had the other great game, and we're thinking, hey, maybe it's not the James Harden we've been watching for the last five years. Maybe this is the guy who ultimately wants to win, can push to win, has the energy to win. No, he's not. No. He's not. He's the, the the tiger doesn't change his stripes. The leopard doesn't. Changes spots. What's the cliche? Uh, yeah, whatever. Like the, the frog doesn't change his ribbit. Uh, yeah, the, the, like he is. He is what he is, and he is not going to help you win a championship. Let him go now. If they let him go, they can't sign another forty million dollar player. Right. That's the way the rules of the NBA are set up. Uh, they have a little bit more than ten million to spend in the mid-level exception. Uh, so you'd be consigned to signing a role player or two. Okay. So let's move that into – so we, we just agree, yeah. right? No, cut, okay. cut the ties with Harden. He's, he's not going to be any better if you re-up with him than he has already been for you. Right. We know this story. We know how it ends. Don't go there again. All right, let's move to Embiid. You wrote a big column in Embiid this week. It was a crushing disappointment for fans to see what happened with Embiid again. Now, he had the best season of his career. He was the consensus MVP. He earned that MVP during the regular season. The playoffs begin. The guy who is seven feet tall gets very small. Yeah. And he did it before, and he did it again. And for everybody who has hung their hat on him being the payoff of the process, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody else is gone. Okafor is gone. Fultz is gone. They're all gone, right? They left. But he's here. He's the reason it's going to work, except that once again, he disappoints in the postseason, which makes you think maybe that's just who he is ultimately. I, I have a theory about Joel. Uh, I'm going to try to not get too far afield here. 
my theory is that his background, having grown up in Cameroon, having taken up basketball when he was 15 or 16, there, there is an element with him, I think, that all of this, his career with the Sixers, the millions of dollars he makes, the MVP award, all of it is the success for him. It is so far from the life that he was going to have if he hadn't picked up a basketball that to a certain degree this is all joy for him. And that's it's wonderful. It's an amazing story. He is an amazing basketball player. But when you get to the NBA playoffs – there are small differences that become magnified between the great players and in big moments. And I'm not sure that Joel has that it. Yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah, we know it. You know, you know it when you see it. Yeah. You know, Steph Curry has it. Kobe Bryant right. had it. LeBron Michael Jordan James. being the ultimate. Exactly purveyor of it right on full display by the way in that documentary that came out during the pandemic yeah you know like he said something about me and i knew i had to then crush him yeah wow <laughs> exactly yeah the, the analogy i keep using glenn is from that from the classic movie the untouchables where elliot ness is sitting there and he's he wants to go after al capone and he's getting counsel from sean connery the wise irish beat cop and Connery asks him, you know, what are you prepared to do to get out Capone? And and Elliot Ness says, well, I will do everything within the bounds of the law. And Connery then asks him, and then what are you prepared to do? And the Michael Jordans, the Kobe Bryants, the LeBron James, the Steph Currys, they answer that question. What extra length are you willing to go? Yeah. And Joel hasn't shown yet that he's willing to go that little extra length. I mean, kind of it's called clutch. Yeah. Although it's something beyond that. It's something beyond that. Yeah. It's, it's, you know. It's the gene that says I must win. I must, it, I must prevail. It, it's whatever stopped him from grabbing Doc Rivers and James Harden in the final four minutes of game six of that Celtics series and said, give me the damn ball. I'm yep. going to win this game for us. All right. So, Mike, before we go to the callers, let's just kind of assess what's the best course of action here because there are several. One is just, hey, let's roll it back again. Let's try to convince James Harden to come back here and roll it back again. I hate that idea. Yeah. It hasn't worked. It's not going to work. One is, hello, everybody. Let's just do another process. We can trade Embiid. for, And I've heard people talk about trading Embiid, and we'll get what we get. And you know what? Another 10 years from now, we'll have our shot. I think you can infer from the tone of my voice, I think that is as ridiculous now as I thought it was 10 years ago. I think it's ridiculous now. You're, you'd be starting over in the hopes that you get a player as good as Embiid, and so you're not going to Okay, so, which suggests that you believe Embiid can find what he is lacking to do this for you. I, I think it's possible, yes. Okay. I, I don't think it's necessarily going to come from whoever head coach they hire, but I think it's possible. Okay, I—, I agree that Embiid is the best option they have because if you trade Embiid now, you're going to get 25 cents on the dollar. And whoever you get, whatever package you get, is not going to be. There's so few people you can even trade with. We have short memories here. People wanted to trade Charles Barkley, too. And look at the package they got back from him. Well, that was Charles Barkley led that. Yeah, I know. know, He wanted to, which Embiid could eventually get to. All right, so what's the third option? All right, so I heard this floated uh, by someone on this station earlier this week, and I thought it was an interesting idea. You can, you can say who it was. Spike Eskin? Yeah. Yeah, who knows basketball, knows the NBA, loves the Sixers, uh, and who suggested that what the team ought to do is take a pause year, quote-unquote, where you let Harden walk away. You know you're not going to be able to replace him uh, 
from a superstar standpoint, there's nobody out there you're going to sign this offseason to approximate even what a diminished Harden would have given you. So take this year, patch the roster where you can, allow Tyrese Maxey to mature another year, gain another year of experience, expand and improve his game. And then the following offseason, when presumably Tobias Harris is off the books and you haven't signed another big-name player or acquired anybody else, then you make your move. And Embiid is 31 at the time and might have another couple of years left in him. And then you can gear up for another run. Yeah. I hate it, but it's the best option. I think it is, too. Uh, the biggest – you know who I don't want to be? The Sixers head of marketing. Oh, gosh. Because how you sell tickets off of that? Yeah. Hey, we won – what they win this year? 57 games, something like that, mm-hmm. right? Eh, we're going to win – 47, and we'll you, probably be the 7 8 seed. You hope that. Remember those days? You hope that the bitterness of games 6 and 7 has worn off enough that you can build a marketing campaign around the reigning MVP and Tyrese Maxey. Yeah, I think intellectually, it sounds. I, I agree that it's the right thing to do. And intellectually, I think fans can say, like, okay, I'll get it. But, you know, once they start out 12 and 12, I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> they started yeah. out 12 and 12 this year. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, all right. Well, let's uh, let's see what some of the people think. Let us start. If I can get this bulky mouse to work, there it is. With Lee in Middletown. Hello, Lee. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Uh, how you? We're good. We're good, Lee. That's good. So, um, yeah, you got a lot lot going. I was on hold from the last um show, but um, you guys kind of tied it all in. So, I'll start with Joel Embiid. Um, there was a caller on the morning show on Friday, and she raised a very good point about um, Joel Embiid. And she said, you know, heart is something that you develop as a young kid when you're out there on the asphalt and you're playing the pickup games um, against the older players, um, and, and you develop the heart at that young age. So the way Embiid came into the league, he doesn't have that because he didn't play basketball as a young kid growing up. So he doesn't have that heart. And Joe Giglio brought up a, a asked a question to Hugh Day, uh, Hugh Douglas on 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 their show on Friday. Can heart be developed? And obviously, you know, going back to what the lady said, it's something you develop at a very young a young age. However, heart is infectious, and that's what you're seeing with the Miami Heat. Is that Jimmy Butler is that type of a player who just has the tremendous amount of heart and will to will his team to to a win. Yeah. And so hold on one second, Lee. Mike, uh when we left last night for dinner, you got home and uh caught the end of Miami I Celtics did. and had that play out. So my son Evan, who is eleven, is the biggest Miami Heat fan around, uh anyone I know. And the Celtics were up nine with six minutes to go and the Heat proceeded right. to go on a sixteen to four run led by Jimmy Butler. He was controlling everything. He brought the ball up court he either took his man off the dribble for a pull-up or found an open teammate. Uh, I will say this, Lee. I don't know how much of the Heat culture is because of Jimmy Butler as much as it is because of Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra and their ability to identify those kinds of qualities and the players they want. And Jimmy is kind of the exemplar of that. He's the perfect example of it. Uh He's not the only one on that team who is tough. Don't forget, Kyle Lowry is in his late 30s and still playing very well for them. They've got a cast of supporting players. They just play tight, Glenn. Watch them dribble the ball and pass the ball. Everything is with authority and purpose, 
Uh, they're just really tight to watch. And when you watch them in comparison to, say, the Sixers, you see the difference. And they have a bunch of guys who were undrafted, right? Yeah. They have a bunch of guys named Joe. Yep. So, and we're going to get into the coach in the next segment, is that coaching is that you get guys who may not be the most talented, but they know how to play together, and they play with, uh, God, I hate the word heart, but it's kind of where we're going. A little bit. I think it's a combination of both. I think you have to be able to spot that those qualities in those players. We were talking about this with Keith Jones with yeah. respect to the Flyers. Right. That's what he's looking ago. for. That's, right. That there is an eye test. It's not the only thing that you rely on, but if you're smart and you're experienced, you can pick up on those qualities. Agreed. Let's uh, let's get a little baseball talk in here. Ted in Westchester. Ted, you're frustrated with the Phillies, no doubt. Oh, man, what do you think? Can yeah. you believe these guys were in the World Series last year? Yeah, hard to believe. Harry. It's so hard to believe. You know, you look on paper, and that team looks – it should be good. Yep. But the number of runs they – people they leave on base and kicking the ball around the field it's just like they're almost unwatchable anymore Glenn it's really frustrating it is definitely frustrating and I keep thinking like okay you know it's still early May now it's middle May now we're headed toward late May it's going to turn around they have the talent they're going to be good any day now I was excited (laughs) Ranger Suarez is back in the rotation that ought to be fine didn't get out of the second inning yesterday (laughs) yeah I know I know Teddy they're so much better than this you know they're better than this so it's the it's the it's the snap out of it kind of thing. What was the movie? Oh, um, where Cher hit Moonstruck. Moonstruck. Yeah. Oh, right. Cher right. slaps uh, yeah. what's his Cage, Cage in the face and yeah. says, "Snap out snap. of it." That's what uh. I want to do with the Phillies. I hear you, Ted. What is the I, I, one I wonder, aspect of it that's driving you nuts the most? Give me the the one. I really think they miss Hoskins. To be honest with you, he mm. he was like a stabilizing force in that lineup. Yeah, he was. He was. <clears throat> that's but, uh, that's part of it, Ted. I, I would just say this too, Ted. I wonder if. They are a team that is built for a short series in a way that a lot of other teams aren't. Like, because all those guys can get hot at the same time and can carry you through a five, six, seven game playoff series like they did last October and oh. November. And over a full season, the ups and downs are just going to be that much starker, I guess, you know, or worse. Um, when they're all bad, they're going to be really, really bad. Yeah, I think that's a good good thought, Mike. Uh, it's just like, um, you know, you look at him and go, this is really a good team. And what, what's with um, uh, Turner. 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 I knew where you were going to go with yeah. that, Turner. It, it's it, Thank you. Hey, Teddy, a pleasure. Thanks. It's unbelievable how bad he has been. You gave me a stat earlier today that somebody posted. Uh, Trey Turner had more home runs and RBIs during the World Baseball Classic than he has this entire season for the Phillies. Yeah. And how many games were in the World Baseball Classic? Six. 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 And they're 40-something. 44. Yeah, Yeah, 44 (laughs) games for the Phillies. That's amazing. That's amazing. And he's kicking the ball around every day. And, And, you know, here's the thing, Glenn. Everything you saw from Turner throughout his career before he came to the Phillies, everything you heard from people who knew him and have known him his whole life, suggested he would be impervious to this kind of slump you know that this he wouldn't need to adjust to Philadelphia in any way he would step right in and be the guy he's always been and he's been as far from that guy as you can be and he's bad in all aspects so he's not hitting the ball he's not hitting the ball you know the six tool player he's the minus six tool player yeah. and he doesn't he doesn't steal bases anymore which is he's like the fastest player in baseball even when he gets on he doesn't steal all right well there you go um <laughs> we'll have fun with all of this yeah today. on that high note <laughs> 
uh, Amy Fadul is going to join us at 11 o'clock. Amy Fadul Kane of NBC Sports Philadelphia does a terrific job on the Sixers. Our pal Todd Zalecki at noon. We're going to take your calls all day. We'll work in some Eagle stuff as the day goes on, maybe even a little hockey chatter. Relive one of the worst trades the fly ever made. Continues to haunt him. What does it be decided 11 years later? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, we want to hear from you. A lot of calls today. 215-592-9494 with Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. That's Sixers. General Manager Daryl Morey explaining the other day why – well, he didn't really explain why. Just no. explain how uh, Doc Rivers got fired. I I have to say, I, I know it's small. I mean, I'm starting to find Daryl Morey really annoying every time he talks, <laughs> but that, that's just me. If the team was good, I wouldn't find it annoying. Right, but, right. Uh, our producer Dan Wilson said, and I think he's right, Daryl Morey always just sounds like he just got off a 10-mile run. He always sounds <laughs> winded. <laughs> All right. That's so a good way to put it. They got to get a new coach. Let's talk about who it's not going to be okay. because I know that the, the town would love to see this. Uh, and you wrote a piece about it earlier this year about it's not as much as we would love it. It's not going to be Jay Wright. It is not going to be Jay Wright. First, first things first. Jay is enjoying thoroughly being on television, calling college basketball games, working as an analyst. And if he plays his cards right, and Jay tends to do that, he's probably going to end up being kind of the, the TV face of college basketball, assuming college basketball stays intact in the world of you know NIL and all of that kind of stuff. As long as there is college basketball, Jay has a shot to be the new face of it yeah. uh, from a television perspective, and that's, that's a good thing. Right, you make a whole lot of money doing that, can, and and never have anybody uh, angry alum or anything call for his firing. Exactly, a, the, or Sixers fan. Why would you go coach in the NBA? Right, where the average tenure is probably three years. When, as you said, he can do this, and that's uh, you know, the schedule is easier. It's no, great. and okay. Jay and Jay always had a really good sense of how good he had it at Villanova, and one of the reasons yeah. he knew he had it good was that when Villanova lost early in an NCAA tournament. He had to deal with it from the outsiders from t- for 24 hours at most, and then it went away, and everybody went back to paying attention to the Eagles and the Sixers right. and the Phillies. <laughs> so why put himself through that? Yes. Okay. Secondly, um, it's not going to be Dawn Staley. Uh, as much as I would love to see something like that happen, and one of your colleagues, uh, Mike Jensen, yes. wrote a piece in the paper to that effect the other day. Um, I Don Staley to me is somebody who could end up coaching in the NBA or a major men's program, but she also has a great situation in South Carolina. She's earning more than three million dollars a year. She's at the top of the game there. If she is to leave, she's got to leave for a better situation. Yes, and as great a coach as Dawn is, and I think Dawn could coach at the NBA level and do a terrific job. You can't get away from the fact that as the first female to have been hired to coach, to be a head coach in the NBA, there is going to be an element of novelty to it. And I don't think this is a situation right now where that would work well in her favor. It's already a circus. Right. <laughs> don't, add, you don't, don't add to the circus. It's already a circus. Okay. It is not going to be J.J. Reddick, who somehow ended up at the top of the Las Vegas odds. I have no idea who planted that, but that ain't happening. No, I don't think that's happening either. They're not going to hire J.J. Reddick, who's you know carved out a nice career for himself as a pundit uh, on ESPN and with his podcast, but I don't know necessarily that he knows how to coach basketball. 
could it be Sam Cassell? Sam has been an assistant to Doc Rivers for, I think, about nine years. I would think both he and the Sixers would want to make a clean break. I don't give Sam much of okay. a chance. Okay, all right, fair. So that leaves uh, a good roster of coaches who have had experience and success in this league. Mike Buttonholzer is one, excuse me. Um, and the one that I think makes the most sense, Monty Williams is one, mm-hmm. but the one that I am tentatively thinking probably makes the most sense, Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse. Baby. Who won a championship in a season where Triple Doink beats the Sixers. Yep. He, he as a rookie coach. Here's what I like about him. He's creative. Mm-hmm. He knows how to he he knows how to make defenses, and he knew how to build a defense that was fairly effective against Embiid. Mm-hmm. And so maybe therefore looking at it through the other end, he will know how to work with Embiid to make that work. I think he's smart. I think he has respect. Um, I can't promise he's going to be great, but I think it's the best name I see. I don't think the Sixers could really go wrong with any of those three candidates you mentioned. And I think it's almost like, you don't want to say a roll of the dice, but each of them might have certain qualities that you might want to bring on board. If if your goal is to inspire Embiid to take that next step, as we were kind of talking about in the last segment, then maybe Monty Williams is that guy. Monty Mm -hmm. Williams is that respected and in some cases beloved around the league. He's been a terrific coach in Phoenix. Now those teams' seasons have ended in ugly fashion each of the last three years. They, they had a two-games-to-none lead in the finals in 2001 and lost four in a row to the Bucks. And then the next two years, they got their doors blown off against the Dallas Mavericks and the Denver Nuggets in the playoffs, ended terribly. But Monty is really well-regarded around the NBA. Same thing with Budenholzer. I mean, Budenholzer yep. won 60 games with the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah. That's a pretty good achievement. And then he went and won a championship in Milwaukee. Uh, and you made the, uh, a very compelling case for Nick Nurse. So I think the Sixers, Sixers could go in any of those directions, and it would be fine. To me, it still comes down to the players themselves, and Embiid is at the top of that list. Okay, I agree. And we, it's whatever coach you get only works if Embiid can turn it up a notch. Yeah. Let's talk to Prince in Vineland. You're on 94 WIP. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How you doing? All right. Hey, Prince, how are you? Yeah, everything's good. good so far, man. It's my first time ever calling up. I'm always oh, listening. Thank you. Thanks Appreciate it. Welcome aboard. Man, I, I love the show, man. But it's like I kind of agree with – I kind of disagree with a few things that you guys are okay. you know, saying about what's going on in the organization. Go for it. Hit it. Uh, I would say the past year, the most story talked about Sixers, but I was part of the Sixers team organization was Doc Rivers. James Harden and MB. I just feel as though all the flack that they get right now is just, I think the laws hurt more so than it's a real issue. Like, Doc Rivers has been in the playoffs since he's been coaching. He only got one ring, and then James Harden, I go back to game one, he was the most loved Philadelphian for like 24 hours. <laughs> yeah, well, that earth turns over. That earth turns over every day, Prince. If you look at if you look at it in the long run, and you look at James Harden's career in totality, do yeah. you, my friend in Vineland, believe that somehow James Harden next year coming back would be able to lead them further? Uh, I would like to say I believe so. That's, uh, sure uh, you, let me let me suggest this. I believe the truthometer says you are speaking with hope as opposed to with honesty. 
game seven, uh, game seven in the second round. I mean, I don't look at that as a failure season. We just had high mm. expectations. Okay, and All I right. understand that. Prince, my friend, I appreciate your call, and we look forward to talking to you again. Thank you, Prince. Uh, be well. Yeah, I, I, it's like I said in the opening, Glenn. Uh, getting to the second round and losing in seven games to the Celtics, if you had asked people about that at the beginning, beginning of the Sixer season, they would have said, yeah, that's about what we expect. What changed the dynamic was how the journey took place, how they got there. Yes, and also what changed the journey The journey is you don't look at them as an ascending team where, like, hey, they went to the second round and took the Celtics to seven games. You look at it like, geez, oh, man, we invented, invested 10 years in this, and they're still losing the Celtics in seven games. Yes, yeah, that's exactly why, right. Why would the narrative ever change? No, that, you're 100% right about that. Joe in the Northeast wants to talk about Trey Turner. What are you thinking, Joe? Hey, Hey, Glenn, uh, uh, Mike, how you doing? Yeah, I want to talk about the Phillies. If I can just make a comment about the the, the Harding. Um, a caller called it, your station caller called in yesterday. I didn't check the box scores or verify it. But game five, six, and seven, fourth quarter, zero points for Harding. So I, I think that's, that's enough to tell you not to bring the guy back. And uh, in reference to uh, uh, Coach, if, if you're going to go into the college ranks, why not, if his health's okay, because he, he did miss some games in the NCAA, why not renew the uh, Bill Self uh, and Embiid uh, when, he, when he was a young player at Kansas? Or if you go to the NBA, uh, the assistant coach from Miami, uh, Chris Quinn, he's been with uh, Smolster for nine years, and I think he was a – college player at um, Notre Dame, and if I was right, right. about that, right. then Hold then on. Mike Gray. Hold, hold on let's, let's go through these names. Mike, in- intrigued at all? I'm not intrigued Nor by Bill I. Self. Nor am I. Uh, it's certainly possible, Joe, with your point about Chris Quinn, that there is an assistant out there in the league who would be a terrific head coach. But, boy, you better be certain because you'd be leaving – You'd be passing up some big name, yeah. accomplished coaches yeah. to hire somebody off the beaten path. Yeah, I I appreciate the desire to get somebody who's not a quote unquote retread, mm-hmm. but these are pretty good retreads. Yeah, you know, this is not a situation like when the process began and you were bringing on Brett Brown to say he's going to be here three, four, five years because that's how long we think this will take to get back to respectability, and we need somebody to weather that storm. This isn't the Flyers hiring your favorite coach, Dave Haxtall, and saying, we plan on him being here three, four, five years to grow into the job. That's not what's happening with this Sixers team. Dan Wilson, let the record reflect. This is the, I believe, fourth consecutive week that Mike Sielski has brought off Dave Haxtall, who uh, was an abject failure here, and yet— No, he was not! And yet is My doing— is is appears to be doing well, or was, in Seattle with the new franchise. So that's, only, only Flyers head coach to make the playoffs more than once in the last 12 years. Oh, well, with, let's, let's have the parade for that. Hey! <laughs> wow! Uh, I'm, I'm damning with faint prints. I know. Hey, Mitch, you want to bring up uh, an iconic name that we were planning to bring up during the show, so I'll let you go first. Well, you know what? Every time the Sixers are looking for a new coach, I still say the same thing. Billy Cunningham. Billy Cunningham is a great man who is now, I believe, in his late 80s yeah. and is not really. I know, but you, th- you know, it's uh, – listen. Mitch, Mitch, Sixers- Mitch he can't f- – uh, he couldn't come back for the 1983 reunion this year yeah. because he 
yeah. he wasn't healthy enough to travel. Right. He's a, he's yeah. a great man, but this conversation is not taking place in 1979. Yeah, it'll it'll be a couple years rebuilding. I want to touch Jim Brown. I still think about that scene from Dirty Dozen where he throws the grenades down the uh, <laughs> underground. Oh, that's Stop so great. The, Listen, the so Mike and I are planning to talk about Jim Brown today. and yeah. That scene uh, in wow. that movie had not occurred to me, Glenn. No, it wasn't <laughs> at the top of the list, but it is great. And uh, when, we're, when you're done, I'm going to tell a great story about that. Yeah, he throws the grenades down the underground. Yeah, uh, he saves chimney. everybody. And he's running and running, and you know, he gets shot. But God bless him. Uh, are you old the- enough to have seen him play? No, I'm 62. Yeah, really. you're, just, you're just too young. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which you rarely but, uh, hear, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, uh, getting back to the Sixers, it's like, I would say, it'll be a rebuilding year that, for a couple of years, that's all. And Harden, but remember. Wait, wait, had, wait, wait, wait. Define rebuilding. Well, you're going to get a new coach in. It's going to take him a year to get relaxed with the players or the new players or the old I, players. I don't know about that, Mitch. I don't know about that. Uh, I mean, I, I think, as, yeah. as Glenn and I talked about, as Spice, Spike Eskin mentioned, uh, you might be able to do a pause year where you're allowing certain contracts to come off your books. You're allowing Tyrese Maxey to yeah. improve. Maybe you make an addition or two, one of which uh, yeah. turns out to be a pleasant surprise, and then you go full bore at it next spring. Yeah. Mitch, how are you but feeling, you, by the way, these days? You feeling well? Uh, yeah, yeah. Good reports Good. from the uh, doctors and Good. stuff. That All right. they don't, I have to see them every four months, which that, is great. That's so, uh, great. we got to run, but I appreciate it. So here's the Jim Brown story. Go. Um, and by the way, if you get the ultimate book of sports movies, you can read this story. Although okay. the book is now out of print, which uh, so still there on Amazon. Yeah, it is. Ray Dinger and I wrote it. So Jim Brown is in the NFL for nine seasons and leads the league in rushing eight of those nine seasons. I believe he is 29 or 30 years old at the time. And he decides, gets the opportunity to expand into doing some acting. Dirty Dozen was the first movie he's ever in. By the way, my favorite war movie. Love it. It's wow. a it's a top ten all time movie for me. You ever seen it? Uh, not in a long, okay. long time. Okay, it's gr- it's long. It's great. I still love that movie. So they're filming the movie, and it's taking a little longer than expected. And so Jim Brown calls up Art Modell, the owner of the Browns, and says, "Listen, I'm here in Italy, and we're filming this movie, and it looks like it's going to take another week or two. So I, I'm I'm going to be late to training camp. This is the greatest player in the NFL. Yeah. Who's you know MVP." arguably the greatest player ever, Mm -hmm. certainly the greatest of his time. And he says this to Art Modell, and Art Modell says to him, either come in on time or don't come in. Hmm. So Jim Brown says, I'll get back to you. (laughs) Calls him back an hour later and says, okay, I retire. And that was it. That was it. And he walked away from the game, still in his prime, Mm -hmm. because Art Modell decided he was going to give Jim Brown an ultimatum. And you don't give Jim Brown an ultimatum. He's Jim bleeping Brown. The, the, I would argue the greatest football player of all time. Probably, possibly, the greatest American lacrosse player Yeah, that's what they say. Time. That's what they say, that he was better at lacrosse than he was at football. Yes. And, of course, the star of The Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger, a staple <laughs> of 80s cable. That's where you go? Uh, that's where I go. Yeah. He, he, was, he had a... Pretty good acting career. Not great, but pretty good. But he was. He was the greatest player of his time, maybe the greatest player ever. And Art Modell just blew that oh, one. That, it says so much about Art Modell and that franchise, doesn't it? Yeah. Two on, yes, 2-1-5. They have not won a championship since. Nope.
Nor that should was, they. That they was 1965, 66, something like that. Good, good luck to you, Browns fans. 215-592-9494. Taking your calls. Enjoying that. As we said, at 11 o'clock, we're going to talk to Amy Fadul uh, Kane about the Sixers. We'll talk to Todd Zalecki at noon. And coming up, we're going to give you just a little bit of how the uh, Democratic mayoral primary the other day may affect the future of the Sixers. He's Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Mack now. Hey, you're tired of those old, inefficient windows in your house? Maybe it's time to go Guida. How about that drafty, beat-up-looking entry door? You painted over that more times you can count? Well, go Guida. If you need added protection from the elements with a new storm door, go Guida. And what about that sliding patio door, that garage door you've been meaning to replace? Go Guida. Whatever your home improvement needs are, I suggest you go Guida with the great people at Guida Door and Window. Now, to help get your project started, Guida is offering 20% off all windows and doors, allowing you to start your project with no money down and up to three full years to pay it off interest-free. That's right. Receive 20% instant savings with the luxury of paying off your project interest-free for up to 36 months. Restrictions apply. Offers for a limited time. So what are you waiting for? It's time you finally go Guida. Call today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now, 215-592-9494. We'll get back to the phones in just a moment. But there was other news this week beyond the disaster of the Sixers and what's going on with the Phillies, and it is that um, they ran the primary in town, and Sherelle Parker won the Democratic nomination for mayor of Philadelphia, which means in November she she's, she's going to win. pretty much going to become mayor. Yeah, and why do we care? We don't talk about politics on this show, but we do talk about arenas, and the Sixers' push to get a new arena is obviously impacted by the race. Now, Sherelle Parker, when the arena was first proposed, put up, and I don't have the exact language, but put up uh, on social media or made statements to the effect of, this is an interesting thing. We should never do the knee-jerk reaction of dismissing an idea. Let's... I, I have the quote. Oh, okay, good. Reflexive opposition is a luxury that our city simply cannot afford and one that I will not indulge. There you go. Says She said it better than I did, and that's what she said. And um, much of her support, political support, comes from the local trade unions, building unions, Council of Carpenters, all of those groups, which clearly it is in their interest to get this thing built because jobs, jobs, jobs. Yep. And that's a huge basis of her support. Correct. Um, the other basis of her support is the black community in Philadelphia. Right. And you don't want to paint with a broad brush, but it's certainly possible that that community would support a downtown arena. Right. More so than suburban people who are more reluctant to go downtown. People who actually live in the city are exactly. like, yeah, sure. I don't have to drive to South Philly. You bet. I'm in. I'm in. Um, more recently, she made a statement, I think, right before the primary to the effect of, well, we really have to see how this impacts Chinatown and the people there. Yes. A little balance. Nonetheless, I think for those for the Sixers and those in favor of this arena her election or excuse me her nomination is certainly a promising sign much more than if Helen Gim had won for example she this is a candidate who or a somebody who is mayor by the way i believe as mayor she's going to be more interested in things than the current mayor who appears to have 
begun well, that, a. If she were interested in one thing, she'd yeah. be in, interested in more things than the current. Yes, mayor. I believe he's begun his post mayoral vacation a little bit early. Again, we don't talk <laughs> he, about he politics, began it two years ago. <laughs> he did. He did. Uh, but I think this helps their cause. We'll see. You know, a lot of things have to happen. But I think if you are David Edelman, if you are Josh Harris, uh, you're probably happy to see this. And by the way, I think they probably, you know, contributed to that. Campaign. Oh, I'm sure they did. And yeah, of course, they're going to be happy. I don't think anybody doubted that if Helen Gim had been had won the Democratic nomination, which is in Philadelphia tantamount to winning the entire election. The Sixers would have thought and everybody who supported the arena would have thought it would be dead in the water. Because Helen was not in favor of it, strong ties to the community uh, in and around Chinatown that was opposing it, and now the project has life, and yep. we'll see what happens with it. Uh, you know, you and I have talked about this a lot, Glenn. As someone who lives outside the city, I'm perfectly fine with all four of our major sports teams, with the exception of the Union, who are already in Chester, playing at the South Philadelphia Complex. I think there's a lot that those teams and the city could do to make that complex more appealing. Uh, I'm, but I'm not necessarily opposed to a downtown arena. I'm just skeptical that it would work. I share your opinion. Uh, I, I'm not really sure why it's necessary, but um, we have a standing offer to David Edelman to come on the show. Mm-hmm. He's said that he will when his schedule you know, kind of doesn't conflict. So that, that stands, uh, like you, I am currently not in favor of this arena, but willing to listen. All right, let's talk to John and Maniunk. You're on with Mike and Glenn. Good morning, John. Hey, Glenn. What's up, Mike? Uh, Hi, John. Uh, on, a, on a Sixers here, I think we're stuck in this, like, Phil Collins thing and uh, Groundhog Day with the team every year. Yep. Boy, isn't so that where I they think... started the process all those years back? <laughs> Is it, wasn't it that we don't? I, and listen, I you know what? I don't want to say it that way because it, it – I There's a slight I difference. would like it to work, and I don't, I don't want anything to be construed that I'm gloating because I'm really not – but this was like the whole point of it is we didn't want to be here, and here we are again. There's a slight difference only in that when the process began, they were winning 38 to 42 games a year and really had absolutely no chance of competing for or winning a championship. Part of the reason that Sixers fans are hurting now, and John, I don't know if you feel this way, mm-hmm. is, is that the expectations that came, came and come with winning 50 to 55 games every year and having Joel Embiid and all these players who are supposed to help him get the Sixers to a championship, it still hasn't worked out. It probably hurts more now because expectations were higher. Yeah, I don't think there's any ways to get out of the, the clock flipping the six, and I got you, babe, coming on the radio. But, <laughs> yeah. There you but go. A lot of people you're ready, you're ready to smash that radio, he punch is, it to death, aren't is. you? <laughs> Correct. Yeah, but John, I think, John's I, getting behind the wheel of his truck with the, the groundhog in his lap, right? right. Yeah, looking for, looking to go off cliff. the cliff. Yep. Yeah, but the one thing here is like uh, people have been calling this week about trading Embiid, and there's no way that's going to happen. He's a cash cow. He makes too much money. He's the MVP. He's the face of the franchise. So, yeah, he, not uh, not so. unless he want. He says explicitly, "I want to be traded." Is that yeah. happening? Yeah. No, no chance. And I I don't know how you make a trade. No. What what what? How could you possibly get value back for him? I don't know. So I, I have a um, – in my neighborhood, and I'll talk about this later, they're doing a 24-hour run that started mm-hmm. last night at 7 o'clock or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some it's a three-hour course, and some people run – or three-hour, three-mile course. Some people run three miles. Some they're, they're, I literally have a neighbor who's planning to run 100 miles and has done it before. 
Oh, my God. Uh, anyway, I went to that last night, and there's a uh, middle school kid who lives in the neighborhood comes up to me and says, Hey, Mike Sielski spoke at our school today. He was great. You I did. did. You did I, career day over there? I did there? career day at Havertown Middle School. Nice. It was wonderful. Yeah, well, he, he thought so. Oh, that's good to know. And he said, yeah, you know, I think they should trade Embiid for Rudy Gobert and something else. Well, and- that's because what my that was my entire speech was why they should trade Embiid <laughs> for Rudy it? Gobert. Well, yes. it worked. Don't get into writing. Don't get into newspapers or radio. Let's let's do a deep dive on why Embiid for Gobert works. By the way, speaking of things that are going on, and this is something that actually is going to happen, our pal Ray Didinger's play, Tommy and Me, is playing again now at the Bucks County Playhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I are both going to be joining over the course of the next couple of We weeks. are. If you're interested in tickets. Not in the cast, mind you. No. I, although I've petitioned Ray, I, you and I have both done some acting in our lives. Yeah, and and I, for one, have been lobbying Ray to get me into the cast. I think I would. I would. You play, could play Ray. I could be Ray, you, and I think it'd be great. Let's be got, honest, it's what you're doing here. I got plenty of khakis. Uh, I don't have to wear shorts yeah. or jeans. I can you know. play old Tommy. I am. I've got broken down knees. There you go. I think it would. <laughs> hey, it would, let's do, let's you, do it. You and I, <laughs> all right, anyway, anyway, that aside. So tickets are available. Um, the show starts. Uh, it's it's running. Uh, I believe it's already begun. I think um, this past week. Uh, but Glenn and I are going to be there. On Thursday, upcoming Thursday night. So Thursday, May 25th, Glenn is going to be doing uh, what Ray calls the talk back, yeah. where uh, you watch the show, which takes about 75 minutes, and then Ray and Glenn will answer questions and talk about the play and talk about Ray and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, so Glenn's doing Thursday, uh, May 25th. I'm going to be doing the same thing on Thursday, June 1st. You can go to BucksCountyPlayhouse.com and buy tickets. And you should, because Bucks County Playhouse is in New Hope, and New Hope is a charming little town. You go out, you get some dinner, you see the play, you say hello to Ray. Maybe he'll be nice to you. I don't know. Yeah. He tends to be Ray kind of a surly guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you'll have a great night out. There you go. Nicely said. Uh, let's, uh, you know what, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk to Todd Zalecki. We'll get your calls in. If Amy, Amy Fadul. Oh, Amy Fadul. Excuse me. Todd yeah. Zalecki at noon. Amy Fadul at 11. Pardon me. Got that confused. That's okay. Uh, 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Oh, that was fun. I was there for that, Glenn. Yeah. It was fun for the people in TD Garden that day. Yeah, they enjoyed themselves. Not so much us and not so much the great Amy Fadul Kane, who, uh, does pre and post and all kinds of terrific coverage for NBC Sports Philadelphia and is nice enough to interrupt her weekend and join us. How are you today, Amy? I'm good, Glenn. I'm good. Mike, how are you guys? We're, we're, we're good. We are good. All is well, good. Amy. All is well. All right. Let's, st- let's start with the easy question, which is James Harden opted out of his contract uh, by all accounts on Thursday. It does appear, at least what I infer, from what the general manager said, they would like to have him back. But I'm thinking mm-hmm. that's not going to happen, right, Amy? We can say that James Harden's not going to be a sixer next year, can't we? I mean, it's that's the speculation about him returning to the Rockets has been out there for probably seven months at this point. Um, it started to crop up right shortly after the season started. I feel like we started hearing rumblings that are, uh, right around Christmas, maybe January time, that he was interested in returning back to Houston, and I think that's confusing to a lot of people. It's certainly confusing to me when you think about, you know, you have goals, um, and he's said he has goals of winning a title, and no offense to Houston, that's not a place that's going to happen. 
uh, in the next couple of years, and he's already up there in years. So it's, it's a little bit confusing. But, yeah, I mean, I think yeah, Daryl Morey said it the other day, like our plan A is to re-sign him. Plan B, we'll, we'll have to get creative. But they can't really talk about that. They got in trouble a lot um, with uh, some tampering. So I think yeah. they just don't want to mess yeah. with any of that kind of stuff. But what do, but yeah, you, I mean, I what do you think? No, I don't think he's back. I, that would surprise me. Um, it, the whole thing surprises me. Going back to Houston surprises me. But that's – I just – it didn't get a good vibe about him returning. And I think the 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 things you hear about maybe Doc being gone because of a um, Harden, I, I mean, I think there's probably some stock in that, uh, honestly. You know, I think the coaching changes, good or bad, because of one player is always a very dangerous thing. It doesn't mean the teams don't do it. Uh, they do it all the time. So it'll be interesting to see. But, no, I, my gut feeling would be that Sir James Harden is not a fixer next year. Okay, Amy, so let's shift from – whether your gut feeling is or is not that Harden will be a Sixer next year, would you want him back? To me, the fact that he is willing to entertain going to Houston at this stage of his career, as you said, given the condition of that franchise and how far it is from competing for a championship, that kind of hints to me that I'm not sure I'd want this guy back anyway. How do you feel about it? Yeah, that's such a good point because it is very confounding. Um, I remember – when they had, they honored the 83 team. And James Harden was super focused. Uh, they came out to the, the 83 members, uh, came out to practice, and he, like, went up and shook every one of their hands and looked them in the eye. And he just was so focused at large portions of the season, obviously completely transitioning his game into what it is. And you saw that, and you thought, oh, gosh, this is a guy kind of on a mission. And you saw the way he played at times in the playoffs. And you thought, this is a guy that's focused. He knows where he is in his career. He knows – you know, the, the window for a championship is closing. And then you hear the Houston stuff and you're thinking, well, who are you? Like, are, are you that guy? So I, to me, no. I, if, if a guy is already wanting to move on and talk about the next phase of his life and whether it's that, you know, I want to be somewhere that I, I'm comfortable and I, you know, I love the people, I'm beloved um, and I'm you're really comfortable there that's not necessarily about winning a championship, then no, I want a player that's focused. And I think with this team, you saw that. Tobias Harris mentioned it uh, after the, the Celtics series. Like Mental toughness is a thing. And if you're not all in on something, if you're kind of still thinking like, well, it's, you know, it's really hard and I, it's easier if I go here, then no, I don't want a player like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's where James Harden's headspace is, but you know, going back to Houston certainly would be easier. Not a lot of pressure there to win. They love you. They think you're the greatest. You won an MVP. You were a scoring leader, and you still have family there. That's fine. If that's what you want to do at this point in your career, absolutely. It's your life. You can do whatever it is you want with it. Mike, but would I want a player that's not 100% in? No. Mike Sielski, I sense a little sarcasm there. Just a bit. Uh, Amy Fadul Kane is our guest. Follow her on Twitter at Amy Fadul NBCS. Um, speaking of heart, a word you brought up, what, if anything, was revealed about Joel Embiid one more year in the playoffs, one more disappointing postseason? Yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's, it's hard. It's, for me, that whole Celtic series is really hard to reconcile. It's hard to reconcile a team that won, you know, three games, two of them in Boston with the team that showed up in game six and certainly in game seven. Uh, game six, to me, is really going to always – stick out just because you had a golden opportunity to clinch at home and you just you turtled up you got scared and you hid in your shell uh, it's i'm gonna have a really it's still confounding it's funny i saw jim Lynham the other day um we were out uh, on the golf course and he and i were just i was like we still can't wrap our heads around it still don't know what happened 
um, in that series the way that it ended. You know, it started with such a bang and ended with such a whimper. So I don't know that I learned that much more about Joel Embiid. Should I have learned more? Probably. But I don't know. I'm not ready to bury him because they didn't win the series. It was disappointing in game seven. And I think the glaring thing was that he and Harden combined for 24 when you have Tatum on the other side dropping 51. Uh, That, to me, is probably the most confounding part of the entire thing. You can have a bad game, but not when they're star, who has since reverted back to the terribleness that we saw earlier in the Celtics (laughs) Sixers series. If anybody's been watching that excellent Heat series. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I wanted him to step up, and, and, and parts of the times I thought he did. There's other times where I thought he didn't. I, I don't know why you don't drive Al Horford's chest every time you see him. It's Al Horford. Yep. It's, yeah. It's Al Horford. You're Joel Embiid. You're the MVP. You're a, a, you know three inches taller than him. You outweigh him. Like I, so that to me is it's hard to wrap around. I don't know. I mean, I think we've learned a lot about Joel Embiid. We learned a lot about him after that Raptors series years ago, where he really kind of took his game to the next level, took his nutrition to the next level. Maybe this is something he needed in that process. You know, these guys that win championships. They always talk about those playoff scars that they carry with them i mean i don't i don't want any more scars for him i want him to go ahead and show up healthy with the mind right but yeah i'm I'm not i'm not ready to bury him but i'm also i needed to learn more i guess well you kind of took me where i wanted to go with you amy which was you and i were both at daryl morey's press conference the other day in Mm -hmm. camden and daryl spoke uh at length about how he just kind of assumes that because Joel Embiid has improved every year that he's been in the NBA, he will continue to improve for Mm -hmm. next year and the year after that. At this point of Embiid's career, when he's 29, can we really make that assumption? Yeah, it it is a bit of a leap at times when you think about, like, you're just assuming for any player, oh, well, you're just going to get better. They have to have that drive and desire. And I think in times of Embiid's past, you know, in his career travels, uh, through the process and everything else, he's always had the need uh, to achieve certain things and prove certain things about himself. I, I, you know, obviously I can't be in his head to know if he still needs that because that's, you have to have that. You have to have that drive within you. No one else is going to help you improve. You look at a guy like Tyrese Maxey, who's literally gotten better every year, and I think that that is a safe statement for a guy like Maxey. But, no, I don't know that I can assume that Joel and I would hope that his playoffs – if you would look in the mirror, if I was Joel Embiid and be like, I need to be better. He says those things. You just need to see it because at this point we've seen it two years in a row. I need to be better in the playoffs and we have not seen, we're still sitting, you know, sitting at the second round. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, assumptions are, are dangerous things. I think there's probably more hope in Daryl Morey's statement than anything else. They want, at least Joel Embiid's a willing uh, participant in the process for himself. Sorry for the pun. But I think that he is interested in getting better. Whether he does it or not, obviously, will remain to be seen. But I think that there is a desire there. Um, I still see that. I still see the frustration uh, from him after bad games and after the losses. Um, I, not, not to the degree that we saw it, obviously, with the Raptors earlier in his career, but I think it's still there. So I don't know if it's a, if it's a you know, 100% guarantee that it'll get better, but I think that he will continue on the same kind of path. All right. That's a safe safe bet. Amy Fadul Kane, we know all of the candidates for coach. I mean, at least we know the likely mm-hmm. candidates for coach. Any that you favor? Yeah, I mean, I, I, and Mike can attest, I, you know, I asked about championship pedigree because a lot of these coaches that are out there, they've won championships and they have their coaches of the year. Um, and so a guy like Budenholzer is a name that moves the needle for me. Nick Nurse is a name that absolutely moves the needle for me. 
I think that there is a lot of validity in having a coach who's been there and, and knows what it takes. And that, when we're talking about players improving and players you know, needing to do more, a guy that walks into the room that has absolutely been to the mountaintop carries a little bit more weight. P.J. Tucker carries more weight because of that. He can get in the face of players. So those two would, would move the needle. Um, Monty Williams, I think, is a very uh, viable candidate as well. Obviously, he's uh, had some success out there with the Suns. Uh, he also didn't kind of get there, but I think that they didn't give him maybe the ample opportunity. So I, my first choice would probably be Nick Nurse. I, I really uh, was a big fan of his work when he was in Toronto. I think he's a good motivator. I think he's a good in-game strategist. Um, and so I think those are two things that this team probably really needs right now. They seem like they're a little bit like a rudderless ship, and they kind of go out there and they don't know what they're doing at times. And it doesn't matter how many timeouts you call, it just seems like they were lost, uh, especially in game six and game seven of that series. They just couldn't, they couldn't get it together. So a good motivator and a good, you know, kind of strategist X's and O guy in game to me would be my, that would be my two first candidates. A- Amy, last one for me. One of the mm. uh, subjects or ideas that Glenn and I have kicked around for the first hour here is what's the Sixers next move here? Uh, they seem to be, if not already there, heading toward a position where they're kind of stuck again, mm-hmm. where they're not really ascending, and you're trying to find the right combination around Embiid and presumably Maxi. And maybe there's something to be said for the idea of letting Harden walk away, kind of playing out this season, letting Maxi grow and improve, uh, letting Embiid play, and then coming back a year from now and kind of reloading, uh, almost taking a pause year. Yeah. What, what do I, you I think, think of that? And, and where, if you were kind of in charge here, what would you want this franchise to do? I mean, it's, it's hard. Uh, that's a hard one to kind of answer just because you know, the championship windows are so small, and especially small when you've got a, a player uh, like Joel Embiid, just given his injury history and just the way that he plays. Let's face it, this is not a guy that's going to be LeBron James. He's not going to be in the league for 20 years playing at the level that uh, he's been playing at the last couple of years. So there is that inclination to try to squeeze one more year out, in, in my mind. And you mentioned Tyrese Maxey. This year um, is his last year of his rookie contract. So if you're going to extend him, this would be the year to try to do it so you can get some kind of discount um, in case he blows up and continues on the trajectory that we've seen him. But I, I'm hesitant to kind of set a reset button. Maybe you, you kind of take a flyer on a couple of guys and see what pans out. Um, instead of going all in, I think there's a happy medium somewhere in between, you know, staying pat and letting it, you know, Tobias, Tobias Harris's contract, you know, finish out and then really being able to make some moves and then just, you know, trying to shove everything in on one year because that's basically what you would be doing. If you made some big moves, you're looking at one year, one year with this as it's currently constructed and then maybe trying to move on. So I, I think there's a happy medium, honestly, Mike, in there between staying pat and kind of writing it out and then going all in. I'm not in favor, really, of either of those two options. But I, they're, they're, it's going to be a tricky thing. I do think letting Harden, you know, Harden, if he doesn't opt in, which obviously the reports are that he did not, and he's not going to opt in to his player. He wants a new contract. I, I would not give him a four-year contract um, if I was the Sixers because that's just not their aim right now. The window for them is in the next two years. And James Harden, as, as this team is currently constructed, is not as helpful 
as maybe someone else would be. I don't know who that player is. Obviously, uh, I'd have to look out there. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be a big name, but we do agree with you. Amy Fadul Kane, it is a pleasure. Thank you so much. And, uh, again, you can watch her on NBC Sports Philadelphia. Thank a, you, guys. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Ames. You all too. Right, there you go. I think we're all of kind of like mine, which is yeah. you let Harden go, you keep Embiid, you hope that Maxi become takes another step or two up. Mm-hmm. You lower expectations for the next year. Yes. You hire Nick Nurse or Monty Williams yeah. or Buttonholes or one yeah. of those one of those one category of the guys, guys. Yeah. Right. And uh, kind of say, okay, in twenty twenty four twenty five, that's our year. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I, I hope we're all still alive in this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will be. I plan to be. I yeah. don't know about you. It's been a while, man. You know, <laughs> Anthony in South Philly. Thanks for your patience. You're on with Mike and Glenn. Anthony, you with us? Yeah, you. Yeah. Man, why y'all t- why y'all doing Trey Turner like that, yo? I'm sorry. What, sorry, did, what did we do to Trey Turner? Y'all know every baseball player, especially when you get traded, needs some time to adjust. Uh, I have no y'all idea what you're referring to. Try one more time. Who said Trey Turner should be traded? Earlier, earlier when y'all were talking about Trey Turner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm just saying. And what did we say? I think he just needs some time to adjust. Okay. So what did we? How did we do him wrong? Uh, I'm exaggerating. I ain't do nothing to him. Okay. Good. I didn't think I did. I, I yeah, I ain't do nothing. To, what could y'all have did to him? I ain't do nothing to him. But do we agree that he is? Do we agree that he is off to a terribly disappointing start? Yes, as of now, he yes. Okay, yes. okay. and do we and the do we all time. we all hope that he is he's going to revert to form and be the all star that we've seen in the past? Absolutely, but okay. the first six or seven games of the season, he did have a hitting streak. He hit every game. Well, that that was that was three months ago. Yeah, that was, that was a long time ago. Wow, uh, Anthony Charter, member of the Philadelphia Trey Turner defense and, uh, league. It's, it's <laughs> fine, I, I don't think we did him wrong. He's had no. a horrible year. Let's just say it as it is. He he knows he, he's he opened not by playing. saying, "Why are you trying to get him traded?" Don't yeah, get no, traded. No, no, no. All right, Jack and Santa Barbara wants to talk about the great Jim Brown. Hello. Jack. <laughs> hey, Prof. Hey, hey, Mike. I want to thank you because uh, my sister lives near Doylestown. I read The Rise. I recommended it to her. Her oh, partner you, play, played basketball, and um, you signed the book the other night. So oh, thank awesome. you. Awesome. Yeah. What's your? Uh, yeah. Your sister was there. Uh, she was there. She was there. She went over. Um, she couldn't stay, but she left the information, and you signed oh, the book. Oh, got it. And yep, I, yep, yep, and, got it. And I, and, Where and did I this book ti- signing take place? Uh, this t- took place at the Doylestown Bookshop with r- one Ray Dittinger. That's a great. That's yep. a great shop. It, it is. is. It's yep. a great place. I'm in. I'm in it once or twice a week. Nice. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about Jim Brown, Jack. You so, probably um, are old enough to have seen him play. Yeah, my dad took me to Franklin Field. It was my first Eagles game. And uh, I believe, and Ray, Ray will embellish this because he was there, but uh, I think Timmy Brown scored uh, from the end zone. He, he was my, my childhood hero. The rest of the game was spent me asking my dad, who is that guy? And he said, that's Jimmy Brown. Yeah. He scored, he scored five touchdowns and I, I would ask my dad, why was he getting up so slow? And he said, 
he's conserving his energy. Yeah, he yeah. was. So he, he let me just remind people because that's exactly right. Jimmy Brown would rip off a 15 yard run, right, and then he'd get tackled, and he would get up really slowly, and you'd think like, oh no, is he hurt? Yeah, and he would just like that was kind of his hallmark. He was in no rush. Yeah. So Glenn, when we got outside, we had a long way to walk to get to the car. Everywhere I looked, and I'm I'm a 10 year old kid. There were bobbleheads of, of Jim Brown everywhere uh-huh. in Eagles Land. Yeah, they were. They had they had bobbleheads back then. The original bobbleheads. Ah, oh. understand. Before bobbleheads were a thing in, well, I guess the 90s. Mm-hmm. Bobbleheads were a thing in like the 60s. Wow, I didn't know the that. Origi- yeah, that's why. Oh, that's big time. When I started, big yeah. Ah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the greatest, so, Jack. He he was something. So when I was eight, maybe it's one of the first games I ever went to. The, the Bills were in the AFL, the Browns were in the NFL, the leagues were at war, but they were trying to, like, have peace talks, which it eventually resulted in the merger. And the I went to a NFL preseason doubleheader in Cleveland. We drove from Buffalo to Cleveland, which mm-hmm. is like a two-and-a-half, three-hour drive. Not a bad drive. Shores at Lake Erie. Yep. And the Bills, I don't remember who the Bills played in the first game, and then the second game, the Browns played. And we went, my dad and me and, and a, another guy and his son. And I remember, like, we were thinking of going home after the first game, after the Bills game. But I think my dad said, you know what? Let's stick around just a little bit because mm-hmm. this is your chance to watch Jim Brown play live. And so we stay. We didn't stay for the whole game. Mm-hmm. Um, but in those days, by the way, star players would play in the preseason. Oh, yeah. And Jim Brown got some carries. And I don't remember a lot, but I remember that in my lifetime – as a very young boy, I had the opportunity to see Jim Brown play live, I, I, and he's the greatest that ever was. I would have loved to have seen him play live. He is also the subject of one of the greatest lines in sports writing history by Shirley Povich of the Washington Post. A man, by the way. Yes. Uh, <laughs> people never people don't know that anymore. Yeah, yeah. they don't. You're right. Um, so the history of the Washington Commanders slash football team slash Redskins. I am a sports writer, and don't call me Shirley. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> The history of that franchise is they were very slow to have black players on their roster, and even while Jim Brown was clearly the best player in the NFL and other teams around the league had black players all over their rosters. And so Brown had a particularly great game against Washington one day, and Shirley Povich's lead was Jim Brown, born ineligible, ineligible to play for the Redskins, integrated their end zone three times today. Oh, that's great. Which is just awesome. That is great. All right. Uh, before we hit the break, I want to just uh, play a little sound because you referred to this a little bit earlier. And uh, we'll set it up. Well, you know what? Yeah, let's set it up. Okay. You, you were talking about you're making a movie reference. Yes. With the Sixers. Oh, yes. And why did you make the reference? What, um. Well, the Untouchables, you mean? Yeah. With Joe Ellen Bede, uh, because you have to. He has to ask himself, what is he prepared to do? All right, here you go. That's it. That's it. That's that's it. what Daryl Morey should be saying to him. That's exactly right. Uh, there's a level that you can go to, and it's fine. And then there's another level that you might have to go to to win the battle uh, and crush your opponent. I'm wondering if Embiid has that level. He brings a knife, you bring a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one his to the morgue. Right. That's 
The Chicago Way. That's such a great movie. Oh, it's a great, great movie. Great movie. Love that movie. Okay, 215-592-9494. We had a lot of calls. We cleared them out a little bit. So if you call now, we will get you in. And coming up is what we're watching. Mm-hmm. By the way, you know that I tell you the 13-year-old kid in my neighborhood stopped me last night yes. to say how much he enjoyed you speaking at school? Mm-hmm. The other thing he said to me is his favorite part of the show is when we do what we're watching. Ah, awesome. <laughs> That's great. I got to start watching stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't mind. Anyway, I am watching. You're carrying this segment. I am. That's fine. I worked with Ray a lot of years. <laughs> Ray, Ray, like TV. I don't want. No, TV. I, I, will, I will take my what we're watching game to the next level. That's Glenn. fine. I am not going to be Joel Embiid. Uh, <laughs> that would be good. Anyway, I am watching a terrific drama on uh, Netflix that I'm going to recommend, and I think uh, you are going to like a lot. So that's coming up next. Cool. And your phone calls at two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Todd Zalecki actually does join us. At noon. Hey, are you tired of dealing with those old inefficient windows in your house? Maybe it's time to go Guida. How about that drafty, beat-up-looking entry door that you painted over more times than you can count? Well, go Guida. Do you need added protection from the elements with a new storm door? Go Guida. And how about that sliding patio door or the garage door you've been meaning to replace? Go Guida. Whatever your home improvement needs are, I suggest you go Guida with the great people at Guida Door and Window. To help you get your project started, Guida is offering 20% off all windows and doors while allowing you to start your project with no money down and up to three full years to pay them off interest-free. That's right. Receive 20% instant savings with the luxury of paying off your project interest-free for up to 36 months. Restrictions apply. Offers for a limited time. So what are you waiting for? It's time you finally go Guida. Call today to schedule a free in-home estimate at 1877-GO-GUIDA. Or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. All right. What we're watching is sponsored by Guida Door and Window. Receive 20% off all windows and doors with no money down, up to three full years to pay it off interest-free. Call Guida Door and Window today, one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at go, G-U-I-D-A.com. So... I am watching a show called The Diplomat, mm-hmm. uh, starring Kerry Russell, who was great in The Americans, as mm-hmm. well as many things before that. Um, she uh, in, in The Americans, she was out to destroy the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this one, she is out to save it. Oh, okay. And it's a political thriller uh, produced by a woman. Hold on, I have her name here. Deborah Kahn, who got her start as a writer for The West Wing. Oh, cool. Okay. So if you like The Re- West Wing, this will remind you of that. It's got that... Smart, fast-paced political talk. They're walking around. I was going to say, walking and talking. The walk talk is that definitely (laughs) takes place. So here's the setup: Uh, Kerry Russell plays a career American diplomat who gets named as ambassador to Great Britain right on the heels of a terrorist attack on a British aircraft carrier that kills uh, thirty-plus British sailors, Um, and it's a much bigger gig than she's ever had before. She arrives in London, also with her husband. Her husband is a career diplomat who's got more experience, more connections than her. And her husband keeps undercutting what she's trying to do, which oh. is she's trying to prevent World War III. Okay. And her husband's got his own way of doing it, so you have all this family dynamic. And then the American president, who's played by uh, one of my favorite character actors, Michael McKean. Oh, sure. Um he is ready to, like, rain bombs on Iran. They think oh, wow. Iran did it, but they're not sure. But he's ready, like, yeah, let's just carpet bomb him. And so wow. she is trying, and by the way, he also, he, the American president, kind of influences the British prime minister in such a way 
she is trying to persuade the Brits to like show a little restraint till we know what's going on. Okay. Um, there's a whole lot more that I can't say because I don't want to hand out a lot of spoilers, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of plot twists and turns, and it's terrific. Um, two concurrent plot lines. One is Carrie Russell trying to like learn while she's on the job, mm-hmm. and her failing marriage with her husband who keeps gumming up the works. Um, there's a reason they can't get divorced, which is real relatively early and kind of plays into mm-hmm. more fun with the plot line. Um, but for a and not but and for a show that I would say is about geopolitical catastrophe, it's kind of fun. So that was my question. Yeah. I loved the West Wing when yeah. it was on, and I thought it got better in its second and third and fourth seasons when it started to make that White House seem a little more fallible, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, there there was much more pushback from supporting characters mm-hmm. and into the politics and all that. Can you watch this show and not get beaten over the head with politics and still enjoy it? Um. Yeah, yeah, I think you can. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's good. It's, it's um... Yeah, it's a it's a it's a thriller. It's a mystery. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's, it's there's a lot of intrigue. It's a little bit of a spy story. It's all of those things rolled into one. And I and I, I think it's really good. It's it's West Wing meets Madam Secretary. Okay. If you know that show. I remember. It, um, yeah. And I I like it. I recommend it. I'm only three episodes in, so mm-hmm. I haven't seen a ton of it. But okay. I'm I'm fully engrossed and highly recommend The Diplomat on Netflix. Well, we were talking last night at dinner. And I mentioned that I had watched two episodes of the reboot of Fatal Attraction yeah. on Paramount. And when you say reboot, originally, of course, it was a movie. Now yes. it's a series. It is. They turned it into a seven or eight episode series. Wow, that's uh, a lot. With Joshua Jackson, who used to be on Dawson's Creek in the late 1990s. And Lizzie Kaplan. <clears throat> I like Lizzie Kaplan. Plays, pardon me, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. Plays the Glenn Close character, Alex Forrest. You clear your throat. I'll, yeah. I'll mention that uh, we like Lizzie Kaplan in a lot of things. She was most recently <clears throat> in... Fleischman is in trouble. That's it. Yes. Okay. Um, But I'm two episodes into it, and I'm not sure I'm going to go back to it. Okay. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. But the one thing that's jumped out to me so far and why I can't say, oh, I'm definitely going to continue watching it is everybody's familiar with... The original Fatal Attraction movie, Glenn Close, Michael Douglas, oh, yeah. Archer, all of that cultural iconic movie. Boil the bunny. Yeah, Glenn Close made that movie. She had so much energy and hunger in that part for her character, for the Michael Douglas character. And through two episodes, I'm not seeing that. That's what made that movie compelling, and it's not there through these first two episodes of the show, and it's lacking for it. I think. Uh, so I'm going to give it a try, but I'm not optimistic that I'm going to stick with it. Okay. Right. And sorry for my froggy, That's okay. froggy throat. All right. Uh, one more thing I want to say about TV, and then we'll talk to uh, Irv and Jack and anybody else wants to get in at 215-592-9494. And this is, it, we learned this week that uh, the NFL has signed a contract with Peacock, which is an offshoot of NBC, uh, to have next January the first ever live-streamed postseason game exclusively on Peacock. It is a subscription grab, for lack of a better word. And according to the Wall Street Journal, your old paper, 
the network paid $110 million for one game, just a one-year deal, by the way, $110 million to get people to sign up for subscriptions. Yep. Um, I don't like this for so many reasons. First of all, I don't like it because my dad's not going to be able to watch the game. So if they put the Bills game on, my dad's going to be at sea. Or it's going to be at my house. Yeah. But, but I say that to say I stream all the time. I just talked about Netflix, a show mm-hmm. I watch on Netflix. I can, I know I can figure out how to get Peacock on my TV. A lot of people can't. A lot of older people can't. A lot of younger people can't. A lot of people don't have the means to do it. I think that taking the NFL off of free TV, not even free because ESPN is not free, but putting the NFL on streamers is, a, is from a fan's perspective, a horrible idea. This, unfortunately, I think is where we're headed. I don't like the idea either, uh, in part because if you're going to watch an NFL game on streaming, you are committing to watching that NFL game. We've yeah. talked about this with respect to Amazon. You can't right? flip. You can't flip. You can't flip. And part of the fun of watching TV is flipping. Yes, here's, all the time. Here's the problem. And I don't know if you saw another story by the Wall Street Journal this week, my former paper, killing it when it comes to the sports media news. Yep, they're, they're, hey, that's uh, that's Wall right Street up Journal. There. That's, known that's as their sweet sports, spot. Sports paper. <laughs> uh, ESPN is thinking about going strictly to streaming. I did see that. Yeah, which would really kill the cable bundle. I mean, ESPN yeah. in some ways is what is keeping the cable bundle yeah, they're, together. They're number one, yeah. And I wonder about the future of all of this because I wonder if we're not going to just get back to the point where you have to stream everything. To get whatever you want, you have to stream it. Everything is going to be individualized and kind of fragmented, and it's going to be too expensive, and some of these networks are going to realize that streaming is not the way to go, and we're all going to come back to the cable bundle or something like it. Maybe. Maybe. And and if it is streaming, I mean, eventually we'll all adjust. Mm Mm-hmm. But I don't want the end. I don't want the NFL to be the one that's sending people there because people watch the NFL are used to watching the NFL a certain way, and I don't think it's fair to change it. And it is—it's just a money grab. Yeah. There's nothing about this that Roger Goodell, Jeff Lurie, all the other owners are doing that says, you know what, this is good for our fans because no, what they're doing it is saying, all right, 110 million divided by 32 teams—that's what three points a million apiece. I'm in. They're doing this because, at least in part, football is a completely, totally, fully American sport. They can't spread it anywhere else around the globe. There's nowhere else for them to make money. They keep ha- scheduling yeah. games in London and yeah, Frankfurt. Frankfurt's not uh, moving it's the not needle. It's not happening. Yeah. So they've got to try to wring more drops out of the market they already dominate. All right, Dan Wilson says he has a clarification. So I should clarify, I believe I read this, don't know if it's confirmed, but different from when the Phillies play on Peacock, for anyone out there listening concerned that the Eagles might end up in this game, locally, a, a, yeah, station's, requi- be on. a, requi- yeah. a station's required to pick it up. So right. people in this area will not be blacked out from an Eagles playoff Right, game. which, by the way, they do now even for if the game's on ESPN yes. or something, they'll run it on ABC so, and you yes. can see it. Yes, true, and I, I should have said that. Thank you for saying that. But it, But if it's not your local team... Listen, they're going to take a donkey. They're, they're going to give them the worst game. Yeah, no. We, it's again, like, as you said earlier, it's going to be Jacksonville The versus, AFC South 430 yeah, game. Yeah. Right. yeah, that's what it's going to be. And, and I'm not going to tune in and watch it. I no. won't because I don't care that much. I, I, look, I'm, I'm old school in this regard. I still sit down in front of a TV. I haven't cut the cord yet. I'm heading in that direction. But I still sit down in front of a television, and I look at the grid, and I see if there's something already on that catches my eye. And that's just me being a creature of habit. Uh, and – 
I stream too. I we have Amazon, we have Netflix, we have Apple TV. We watch shows on that too. But with for the NFL, I'm just looking at this and saying, you know what? I don't need to watch that playoff game. I just don't. Yeah. And I wonder how many people will feel the same way. Uh, that's a good point. All right, Irvin Limerick is with us. Hello, Irv. How are you guys? Good. Uh, Hi, Irvin. Glenn, I'm on my. On my way to Havertown to visit my sister, just thought you'd like to know there's that. There's no better place you could be today than Havertown, PA. It's a, it, it, it is <laughs> I got heaven I got on say, earth, I, my I, friend. I agree. Um, I miss Ray all the time, but i got to say you guys are a fantastic pairing. I just Thank you, couldn't Earth. be better. Thanks. Um, and I, I do, I'll, I'll do my brief sports mention, but I wanted to talk to, to Mike about his book. Uh, I'm, I'm okay if Harden goes, I mean, because if we get at him for a year, maybe two, but no max. It, it just doesn't make any sense. He just, it, it's just, he's just too inconsistent. And he's over the hill. Irv, or that's he will a, be soon. Irv, that's a contract that the Sixers are going to regret within the first second and a half that they lift their pen off the paper signing it. They're going to say, I can't believe we did this. They can't do it. They can't do it. They just can't. <laughs> because yeah. especially now that Doc's gone, and that's all that Harden wanted, and now what we're going to bring him back? I, and I, I, I'm not on board with that. But anyway, uh, the important reason for my call is first of all, Mike, it's been probably 20, 25 years since there was a writer in Philadelphia where I didn't care what the title of the piece was. I just looked for the byline and I read it. And uh, you're just a terrific writer. Um, but really the best sports writer easily in Philadelphia right now. Wow. Uh, um, thank you, Irv. There's, there's a lot of great ones. I, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, one of my best friends, I think you communicated via email in the last day or two, is a guy named Chris Morkaitis. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So Chris, as, as you know, but others don't know, he, he, he covered high school sports for the Enquirer. I want to say it was the 80s. but a- I, 80s you know, and 90s, yes. 80s and 90s, okay, I should know this, but my memory's not as good as it used to be. Um, and he covered Kobe. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were kind enough to mention that you actually, in researching the book, kind of were familiarized yourself and read some of his articles. And he was really moved by that. And I oh. just wanted to let you know that. I, I appreciate that, Irv. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, Chris McKitty's, uh Thank you, Irv. covered Kobe and Lower Merion basketball when the, Glenn, you remember this back when the Inquirer had the neighbors section. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which yeah. was the entire separate section of the paper kind of devoted to the various suburban areas around Philly. And Chris was there for pretty much every game of Kobe's junior and senior years. And uh, I relied a lot on his research and his writing in, in doing the rise. So. 215-592-9494. Your call is coming up. Uh, Todd Zalecki joins us at noon. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. <laughs> they called it. There you go. Merrill and Mike, Lane Johnson's touchdown. That was a beautiful thing of beauty. All right. Uh, which brings us to our visit, our weekly visit. With our Cooper doctor, our friend Dr. David Gelt is with us today. Hello, Doc. How you doing? Pretty good. How you guys doing today? We're doing great. Doing great, Doctor. Uh, as is Lane Johnson, who has now been cleared for all football-related activities. Uh, it's it's like 100 days, 14 weeks after he had surgery um, on his adductor muscle, if I'm saying it correctly because I've said it wrong, torn adductor yeah. muscle. 
Uh, right. There you go. So the, really the question we're asking is now that he's been cleared for all football activities is like, this is all in the past. Don't have to worry about it. Not prone to get it again. What's the status of it? Yeah. Um, hopefully it'll do pretty well. It's, I mean, we sometimes put this as like a, a term, like a core body injury um, where it's sometimes abdominal injury, but also you have a, the groin muscles, which what they call the eighty ducted muscles, which allows you to bring your leg in and helps especially with linemen to, to push off. Um, but it's really more your core. And if you have an injury to that, then it's difficult going side to side and pushing off and having any any strength. So what they do is they sort of have to <clears throat> tie it back down so that it that just cause it's torn, so they repair it, let it heal. And usually once it heals because of soft tissue, it does pretty well. Um, you just have to let time to heal it and then you can start rehabbing. Hopefully, as he does well and gets back, and there's no problem, no problem issues. Doctor, is this a, an injury that's susceptible to reaggravation or recurrence? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, once it heals, uh, with these type of core body injuries, people do really well. Some people also, it's, it can also be like a similar with uh, uh, what we call sports hernia injuries, that type of thing. So, once it uh, you tie it back down, you stitch it back together, um, and it heals fine, um, it should be good to go. Let me just tell you something. Just, just the words, tie it back down, stitch it all together. Just, I, I am now doubled over sitting here at the studio. <laughs> he's, he's talking like a, a medic in Saving Private Ryan yes. in those opening scenes. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's sobering, honestly. The surgeon that does it, Dr. Myers, he's, he's actually one of the gurus around here, but he was actually a liver surgeon initially, and then he started doing these procedures on all these athletes, and now that's what he just does. It's an interesting story. All right, Doc, speaking of which, we want to post mortem on the Sixers. What's your thought there? Yeah, so actually I was going to bring this up, but I brought it up to the producer because uh, now that we have time because we're not watching Sixers, I actually did watch a, a movie that I recommended too. But, oh. Um, oh, let's hear it. Yeah. So the Sixers first off is, you know, again, disappointing. Always the second round and then we leave and, you know, we, we say, what are we going to do next? And it's almost like a Groundhog Day, which is another movie in itself. But yep. um, I don't know, we'll see. I, I think maybe with the changes, we'll see what happens. I, I agree with you guys. I think Harden may need to go and start, you know, take a year, so to speak, and then uh, move on from there. What, what, but, movie, um, what movie did you want to recommend? So the movie I recommended that I actually saw with my son, just because, again, we have time because we're not watching Sixers, uh, it was on Amazon Prime. I think you guys may have talked about it before. It's the uh, um, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck. Uh, Air. Called Air. Air, yeah. yes. Yeah, we did. I, yeah. I, uh, I saw it and reviewed it early. Uh, what did you think? I thought it was great. I mean, I, I actually liked the uh, the soundtrack was fantastic um, yeah. as well. But uh, I thought it was really good. It was uh, well, well well done. I really enjoyed that. Actually, I liked that they didn't show Jordan's face at all. I mm-hmm. thought that was uh, a nice move. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought it was great. The uh, the genre is good. Time frame, you know, everybody looked looked apart. Um, the thing they, is, they back, made a movie. It's a movie about a shoe deal. Yeah, and that's what it's about. There's very little basketball in it. There's just like some highlights mm-hmm. of of Jordan yeah. playing at North Carolina, but that's the extent of, of the basketball. And so you think like, I'm gonna go watch a movie about a shoe deal, well, but it works. Well, there first of all, this kind of movie has been out and about since the Social Network, right? Like you're gonna watch a movie about the making of Facebook, right? Yeah. But it turned out to be a great movie. And there's another one that's out now that I'd like to see. It's called BlackBerry, and it's all about. Oh really? The the invention and <laughs> the formation, brief, the brief life and death of, of the, the BlackBerry. Blackberry. Yeah, I, I mean, it seems like this is kind of where creative people are mining 
these stories for drama these days is like, oh, we invented this thing or we struck a shoe deal and let's turn that instead into a of, movie. Instead of police procedurals, it's business procedurals. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was. It, Doc, it was a great movie. You watched it with your son. How old is your son? Yeah, 13. Yeah, he would like that. That's good stuff. Yeah. It was good. That one feature is really impressive. I like that with Matt Damon. Oh, where he talks him into it, yes. Uh, yeah. Dr. Gelt, it is always a pleasure, man. Have a great week. All right. You Talk too, to you later. Have a good one. Thanks, yeah, Doctor. Uh, Air, by the way, I, it is now. I saw it in the theater. It's now they're doing what they do with movies, which is we'll put it in the theater yeah. and then it's going to be on TV. It's on Amazon Prime, and I recommend it. That, that's good to know that it's on Prime because I have wanted to see it, haven't gotten to the theater yet, and knowing that it's on Prime, I will watch it. You know why they didn't show Jordan in the movie? No. Well, I re- I, I, okay, go ahead. No, I read this that they felt like there was no possible way they could get an actor. Yeah. To okay. play him, who would be believable? That's what so, I would have guessed. So yeah. they said, "The heck with it. it. We're not going right. to show him." That, that w- I would have, I would have guessed that. And you know, Michael Jordan gave his approval for the movie, mm-hmm. and there's only one thing that he insisted on: Viola Davis play his mother. Bingo. Yep. Which was great. She was. Hey, she's terrific. If they make a movie about me, I insist Viola Davis plays my mother. She's uh, awesome. I'm not sure that's gonna. I don't think it's gonna work, but I will insist, nevertheless. Jack and Overbrook <laughs> is with us. Hello, Jack. How you doing, guys? All right. Hey, Glenn, I, I saw the whole uh, the uh, Diplomat. Yeah. Great, 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 great. But I'm really calling for one thing. I'm 80, I'm going 82, I'll be 83. I've seen this Eagles for years. The only player I've ever seen take down Jimmy Brown one-on-one was Irv Cross. Really? Cross. Rest his soul, Irv yeah. Cross used to submarine you. Ah, uh, he's the only one I've ever seen. Now look, they had Brookshire, they had Pellegrini, they had Bicknerick. When he broke loose, Irv Cross was the only one that I've ever seen take him down one on one. That's pretty. And good. I think Jimmy Brown even mentioned that. And that draft there, uh, if you guys, Mike, you could do some research. Let me guess. This, let me guess, Jack. You're going to talk about the '57 draft. That's exactly right. Do you? That, that a lot of guys said that could have been the greatest draft in the NFL history. So, so. In the 57 draft, I don't know how many listeners know Tommy this. McDonald. Mm-hmm. Paul Hornig. Yep, exactly right. And, I, I can't, hey, look, I, I can't remember the names anymore. But, but yep. here, here's the funny thing about it, Jack. Here's the funny thing. The Browns had the sixth pick in that draft. Exactly And right. took Jim Brown. And the, the Eagles, Eagles had the Peaks. seventh pick. Yeah. And took Clarence Peaks, another Clarence running back. Clarence Peaks from Purdue. Uh, uh, Michigan, Michigan State. Michigan State. Didn't work out quite as well. No, it did not. Uh, but that's how close Jim Brown was to becoming an Eagle, was the Eagles were one pick away. Wow. Clarence Peaks. Didn't he play the, uh, he was the, the, char- the cop in uh, Trading Places? He was the character in Trading Places. He was um, Clarence Peaks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the guy on the train who ends yeah. up in the gorilla suit. Yeah. Yep. Great him. movie. Oh, my gosh. Great movie. Great movie. One of the greats shot in Philadelphia. Yeah. yeah. Beef jerky time. Two one five five nine two ninety five. Hey, you know what? Let's get Mike in. Yeah, because uh, he's going to hang in, and we got Todd Zalecki. So, Mike, we got you. What's on your mind? Hey guys, I have uh, three quick comments. Sure. Uh, I, I'm old enough to, that I did see Jim Brown play. My high school coach was the quarterback at Syracuse when he played at Syracuse. Wow! Wow! Yeah, his name was uh, Fred Kazala. He's from Reading, Pennsylvania. Good answer to a trivia question. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, Mike, I just wanted to let you know you did a great job at the North Catholic Communion Breakfast a few weeks ago. Thank you. I appreciate that. Chris, Chris Tarion carried the day. He, uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, he was great. He was and my, my last comment is uh, a great guy just passed away also was Ted Solari. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. Ted did the high school coverage. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no. And I, I, I'll tell you, he, he I, I don't think he ever knew uh, how many people he made happy. Uh, kids, you know, kids seeing their names in the newspaper. And uh, he was just a great guy. Yeah. yeah. Mike, thank you so much for that call. And Glenn and I were actually going to uh, mention Teddy uh, before the end of the show. Uh, maybe the most valuable in a certain way sports writer mm-hmm. in Philadelphia in the last four decades. Uh, when you think about the impact that he had on high school athletes in and around this city, the coverage that he gave them, the devotion he had to them, the way that he treated them in their coverage, uh, the, the guys I worked with at the Daily News always referred to Ted as their MVP, uh, that what he was doing was – so special and so important to the mission of a local newspaper, and he did. He, he died earlier this week at 72, uh, and nobody has ever covered high school sports uh, in this community or really, I think, in any community in Pennsylvania better than Ted Salaire. Nicely said. Yeah, it's not a glamour job, right? You know what it's a job of doing? You're building community and, and re- reestablishing community, and it's really, really an important thing, and you don't see it as much anymore. I, no. I think. People of a certain generation who came up in our business, Glenn, that's where they got their start was covering high school sports. And in a lot of regards, there's nothing more special. You'll never have more fun than going to a Friday night football game or a Tuesday afternoon field hockey match where it just means the world to those kids. Yeah. And, uh, and as I said, Teddy did it better than anybody. I saw a lot of writers who commented on social media how Teddy gave them their start writing. Mm-hmm. Like He gave me the opportunity to break into the business. So you have that whole end. And then, as you said, you have the, the number of young men and women who see their name in print because yep. Ted Solari, you know, wrote about them yeah. uh, and did it for decades and did it, as you said, with respect and honor. And, uh, yeah, a genuine loss. Not all of our listeners know who he is, but as you say, what what they call him? The oh, MVP. the MVP. Yeah. He was the Pretty MVP. Good. Yep. He was. Also, real quick, shout out to our friend. Uh, at 97.5, the fanatic John Kincaid, uh, their morning show host, uh, who's been very public about the fact that he is uh, battling colon cancer and just wanted to send some good thoughts to John's way. Uh, he's a great guy, uh, does a terrific job on that station, and we're wishing the best for him. Yeah, I saw he posted the other day that uh, he had the surgery, everything is going well, and we do wish him a speedy recovery. 215-592-9494 coming up next. Uh, Todd Zalecki, what the hell is going on with the Phillies? Nothing oh. good. No, we'll find out the details. Uh, Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on uh, 94 WIP. Are you tired of dealing with those old and efficient windows in your house? Well, maybe it's time to go Gaida. How about that drafty bid up looking entry door that you painted over more times you can count? Go Gaida. If you need added protection from the elements with a new storm door, go Gaida. What about that sliding patio door, the garage door you've been meaning to replace? Go Guida. Whatever your home improvement needs are, I suggest you go Guida with the great people at Guida Door and Window. To help you get your project started, Guida is offering 20% off all windows and doors while allowing you to start your project with no money down and up to three full years to pay them off interest-free. That's right. Receive 20% instant savings with the luxury of paying off your project interest-free for up to 36 months. Restrictions apply, offers for a limited time, so what are you waiting for? It's time you finally go Guida. Call today, schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Oh, 
Oh, indeed they are. You think? Nice call, uh, Scott Fransky. Fransky in L.A. All right. It ain't going well for the Phillies. It particularly is not going well for one Trey Turner, the huge acquisition this past offseason. And when I look for answers, well, when we look for answers, we turn to our pal Todd Zalecki of MLB.com. Nice enough to join us today. Hello, Todd. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're all right. We're okay. Hanging in, Todd. Hanging yeah. in, man. Uh, so uh, you heard what happened yesterday in the fifth inning as Trey Turner makes uh, his yep. sixth error of the season. I mean, these things happen. Um, and, Todd, we also know that there is adjustment for free agents. We've seen it in this town with Nick Castellanos. It's happened with Francisco Lindor when he went to New York. It's not unusual. But, my God, Trey Turner isn't hitting, isn't fielding, isn't running. Um is it something more than just adjustment? I mean, what are you seeing here? I think he got off to a bad start personally. Now I think he's really pressing. Uh, I think it might, might be uh, in his head a little bit that he's underperforming. And uh, finally today, he is not in the Phillies lineup. First time this season, he is not oh, in the Phillies wow. lineup. Wow. Right. Yeah, Sitting Edmundo, him today. Yeah. Edmundo Sosa is going to play shortstop. And, uh, you know, Rob has been kicking this around for a while, um, you know, giving Turner a day off. And he kept saying, like, listen, Trey's, he says when he's in slumps, he likes to hit his way out of it, his way out of it. But you heard the boos last night after that error. Um, he made a couple outs, obviously, at the plate last night. You heard more boos. And he got booed pretty good last night. I mean, you know, not Philly classic boo, but it was loud. <laughs> you know, it was loud. It was a start. Yeah, it was a start. I think. I think fans kind of, you know, rightly, wrongly, whatever, kind of look at him as the uh, poster child for a lot of this team's early season struggles. There's a lot more to it than that, of course, but you pay the guy $300 million. You see what he did in the World Baseball Classic, uh, just tearing the cover off the ball, a bunch of big hits, and then and then he comes out and he struggles like he is, and, and you know, it's easy to kind of look at him and go, come on, you know, we need you to get going if, if they're going to get where they want to go. Todd, we're going to get into those other reasons that the Phillies are struggling, but just to drill down on Turner for a little bit. He seemed to me to be the kind of guy who would be immune to something like this. Everybody who spoke about him, former teammates, guys who had played with him before, guys who had known him when he was in college and working his way up, you know, they all spoke to his baseball character, and obviously his career had been terrific. I guess how surprised are you that this is happening or given how long you've been around the team and the city, do you say to yourself, look, this is kind of what maybe what we ought to expect uh, from an athlete making a jump to Philadelphia with a lot of expectations? No, I'm definitely more surprised than like, you know, this is just your typical, you know, Philly adjustment period. And I say that because he is quite literally one of the fastest runners in major league baseball. So a guy that fast, you think as long as he makes contact, you know, slow roller to the left side of the infield, he's going to beat out a few. You know, a ball hit deep in the hole, he's going to be able to beat out some of those hits and make him almost immune to prolonged slumps. But the thing that he's doing right now is he is swinging and missing at a ton of pitches, yeah. and he's also not hitting well with two strikes. And those were two things. I mean, he's, he always struck out. He was, a, he was a high strikeout guy, relatively speaking, when you think of a speed guy. But – not at the rate that he is striking out right now. And at, it, he used to be a pretty good hitter with two strikes. He is not a good hitter with two strikes right now. So that is very surprising. I, you know, it, and, you know he's, a, he's an East Coast guy. He grew up in Florida, but he played in, in D.C. He took $42 million less to play in Philly. So I don't think it's a situation where he's like, 
I'm just going to Philly for the money, and uh, hopefully I can stand the crowd. I, I think he he was embracing. He embraced it coming here. So I don't think it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm in Philly. I'm freaked out. You know, the fans are going to start booing me. I, I just think he's like, I'm a really good baseball player, and I cannot believe I'm not playing right, right well right now, and I've got to pick it up, and, and now he's starting to press. Very interesting that Rob Thompson put him on the bench tonight. We will see how yeah. that plays out. All right, so he is symptomatic of something that is going on on a bigger scale which is their hitting with men on base is like all-time worst in the last 50 years in baseball or something. I heard a, a stat to that effect the other day, that no team has hit worse with men on base than they have been doing. I, I heard uh, long that the hitting coach say something, I don't want to mischaracterize it, but something like, you know, luck goes into that or some, something like sure. that. Um, and I don't know that anybody can ever explain why guys can hit when there's nobody on base but can't hit when there are guys in running scoring position. What's your theory? What's the prevailing wisdom here? Yeah, I, I think there is. I think there is some luck at play, you know. If, but I also think that they're just not having as good of quality at bats. And I think that might go back into the pressing scenario with a lot of these guys. They went to the World Series last year. They came into the season expecting to be one of the best teams in baseball. They get off to a slow start. Turner, Schwarber, you know, all get off to slow starts. And now they start going, well, we, we got to start hitting. We got to start hitting. So I think that they're kind of, those issues are kind of uh, compounding upon one another. And so I do think it's going to even out. I think if you have a good, talented offensive team, and I think from top to bottom, this is a good, talented offensive team, I think those numbers will turn at some point. But right now they're kind of like spiraling, spiraling in the wrong direction. You know, it's funny. A couple weeks ago, Kevin Gossman, who's a fantastic pitcher for the Blue Jays, said, my God, this is the deepest lineup in the National League. There is not an easy out in this lineup. And now here we are a week and a half later going, why is this team so bad offensively? Because <laughs> they cannot hit anybody. So it's amazing how quickly things can turn. Do they have another – and we're talking with Todd Zalecki from MLB.com, covers the Phillies. Uh, do they have another choice, Todd, other than to kind of ride this out? One of one of the theories I've seen, and I'm I'm I think it might be a good one, is the idea that this is a team that can win a short series because it has so many guys who can get hot for a short period of time they, that they can carry themselves through a five to seven game playoff series. But over 162 games, you're just going to have stretches like like this where you know nobody's hitting, the pitching is bad and you just got to ride it out. Uh, is there anything that Rob Thompson or anyone else can do to snap them out of this, or is it simply a matter of you got to wait for everybody to get hot? Yeah, I think you have to wait for everybody. I, I don't think, you know, because Rob was asked this question a couple times yesterday, like what does what a manager can you do to get guys to hit with runners in scoring position? I think the, the answer is like there's really nothing you can do other than remind the guys don't try to press too much when you're at the plate, which which he has been doing, which I know Kevin Long has been doing, like, you know, just, just relax. You guys are talented. You guys are really good. You're all-stars. You're MVPs. You know, you're NL champions. Just go up and, and do what you do. Take good quality at bats. Slow the game down if you can. And uh, so I, I think that's really the only thing they can do. They are streaky. You know, Schwarber's super streaky, of course. He is, like, the hottest of hot when he gets hot and the coldest of cold when he gets cold. Um, so they just have to wait for these things, things to turn. But – you know, if they could just get Turner going and Schwarber going, I know that's, you know, that's a lot, right? right. But yeah, sure. those, you get those two guys going, I think a lot of this stuff would happen. You know, it's another, one other thing, too, is 
I remember earlier this month when the Phillies were in L.A., Schwarber was leading off, and fans were losing their minds going, oh, my gosh, they got to have Bryson Stott, put him back in the leadoff spot. That would solve all their problems. Well, Stott hasn't been hitting the ball well either for, for a while. So, you know, there's a lot of, lot of guys that right now aren't, aren't pulling their weight offensively. Yeah, and Marsh is like 0 for 30 after a great start. Um, yes. But as bad as that is, the starting pitching may be worse. Um, <laughs> yeah. Wheeler had a nice start. Nola, the Nola and Wheeler are not pitching as you hope, Nolan Wheeler, but they're the least of your problems. Yesterday, Ranger Suarez gets waxed last just two innings. Now, you know, maybe that's he's just kind of getting back in off of injury. It could take a while. Where I am taking us all to is the abject disappointment that has been Taiwan Walker and his 6.53 ERA uh, fresh into a four-year, $72 million deal. Todd, that one worries me. And by the way, they don't even have a fifth starter, so I can't right. go there yet. But if Taiwan <laughs> Walker can't pitch, they're in deep doo-doo. Yeah, it's it's a it's a concern. And that to, that to me, when I think about the Phillies' 20-24 record at this point, I immediately go to the rotation because, again, I do think the offense will mm-hmm. eventually get things turned around. To me, the big concern is the rotation. As you mentioned, Glenn, Wheeler and Nola, they're pitching okay, but they're not pitching like they've pitched in the past. You need your aces to pitch like aces. Um, you know, good thing for Nola is that he's at least been pitching deep, deep into games. They desperately need that tonight with what happened yesterday and what's going to happen tomorrow, probably a bullpen game. But Walker is it's, – it's concerning for sure. Not only the size of – A, the size of the contract, of course, but he has just not pitched well at all. He had a couple solid starts his previous two before the Giants game when he got knocked out in the first inning, but the ones before that weren't very good. And they really need him to get this thing figured out because Suarez – he's only made five starts. You know, he's, This is basically spring training for him. And so they need to give him a little bit more time, I believe. And then you have the whole bigger issue, maybe as big as the Taiwan Walker issue, in my opinion, which is the number five starter. They have nobody to be the number five starter. They basically put all of their eggs in the Andrew Painter basket going into spring training, saying, you know what, if Painter's not ready, we'll go with Falter. But what happens if neither of those guys are ready? Oh, and I guess Sanchez was your third choice yeah, there and he, I mean, he all three of those guys well painters hurt and the other two guys have failed yes i mean San, but that that was my thing is when you go into the, you go into spring training going it's either falter or painter and then you go down to christopher sanchez i mean he's really never pitched well in the big league he's just been pretty mediocre the only other starter on the 40-man roster is michael plasmeyer both plasmeyer and sanchez have eras over six in triple a um they had this kid noah skiro uh who's not on the 40-man roster who's pitched okay in AAA, um, but he's a soft-tossing right-hander. He competes. You know, anytime a guy doesn't throw hard, they go, oh, he's a real competitor. He really grinds it. Right, he's, yeah. You know, he's not afraid to pitch the contact. That's what they're looking at right now because McAbel, their number two prospect, got hit hard in his last start in AA. He's not throwing enough strikes. Griff McGarry, their number three prospect, he's coming back from injury. He's just starting to build back up again. So that, to me, is the big thing. Is like, what do they do every fifth day? And I know some fans are going to say, well, what about Matt Strom? They don't want to blow out Matt Strom. He hasn't pitched more than 40 innings in a season since 2019, so you can't just make him a starter and expect him to be healthy all season. So they're going to keep him in the bullpen. That's a huge, huge issue for the Phillies right now. So, Todd, Falter is an interesting case to me because he certainly showed at times last season that he could be effective. 
And then he had that terrible start in the league championship series against the Padres, and he's been a batting tee this season. Yeah. Is there anything to be salvaged there? Like, what do you think the issue is, and can they turn him into something close to a competent major league pitcher? Well, you know, Falter's never been a hard thrower, right? Like, I think last year's four-seam fastball was like 91 and a half miles an hour. But he has this great extension, so it jumps on the hitter a little bit quicker than it looks. But that said, 91 and a half is still 91 and a half. Mm. When hitters are geared up to hit 98, 99 on a regular basis, like I think most hitters are today, 95, you're throwing 91 and a half. You have to be really, really good. And then, so he hasn't been locating the fastball. And then the velocity has actually gone down from last year. So it's a little over 90 miles an hour right now. So now you make a mistake with your fastball, it is getting crushed. I mean, the other day in San Francisco, um, he gave up a home run. It was a 91-mile-an-hour fastball right down the middle. And Major League hitters are just not going to miss that pitch anymore. And so I think there's the velocity issue. I think it's a confidence issue. Uh, you know, talking to him in his last two starts, two, three starts, he's basically like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I, I don't have an answer. Now, that could be just him being um, irritated at our questions mm-hmm. as, as reporters, but maybe there's some truth there. Maybe he's, like, honestly baffled, and if he's honestly baffled, I think, I think that's part of the reason why they sent him to AAA, and I don't think that he will come back until they feel really confident that he's gotten the mental side down and the mechanical side down. All right, Todd, this has been thoroughly depressing. Give us uh, <laughs> give, a, give us something that we can hang our this hat why, on here. This is why we bring Todd on. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, okay, so two things you can hang on. The bullpen has been absolutely fantastic. It has. I mean, a little bullpen, overworked, but, yes, effective. A little overworked. And I, and I know I, I hate when people do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. If you take away those three awful, horrendous games they had at Dodger Stadium earlier this month, since, like, the middle of April, they have an ERA, like, it might even be under one or just over one. The bullpen has been amazing. And the other thing I think to hang your hat on is I truly believe that this team is going to hit at some point. I have people saying Turner's a bust. He's this year's Castellanos. I truly don't believe that. I think he's in a really bad funk. I think he's pressing. I think he's going to get it figured out at some point. And, um, you know, so I think the offense is going to hit. One other thing I'll say, they really miss Reese Hoskins, man, in the worst way. Mm. They really do. I think this was not as uplifting as I was hoping. <laughs> but I think they're going to hit. I think the bullpen's good. They got to figure out the rotation, though. That to me is the big concern. All right. Can uh, can any of them go through like the same bionic procedures that Bryce Harper goes through, <laughs> or anything like that? Well, I tell you what, they they. <laughs> I wish Reese Hoskins would go for their bionic knee replacement because they could if you hit him fourth. That would solve a lot of their problems. Yeah. I think he gets on base, he drives and runs pretty consistently. By the way, it looks pretty good in that beard uh, that he's been uh, having more than enough time to cultivate. All right, Todd yeah, Zalecki, exactly. let me just say that we will be seeing you on June the 8th um, from 6 to 9 p.m. at Puddler's Kitchen and Tap 3 to Calp Street in Bridgeport, right on the river, right across the uh, right across the bridge from uh, Norristown. It is Fransky. It is, I'm with Conchalk and Brewing Company, and it is Fransky in L.A., Bedlam at the Bank Golden Ale Celebration Party for Charity Proceeds to Benefit the Philadelphia Youth Sports Collaborative. Among other activities, there will be a book signing. Listen to these three stars I got. I got Todd Zalecki to sign his book. Author of Roy, right? Yes, right, Roy. The the terrific book about Roy Halladay, Mm -hmm. which I am proud to have with two separate covers, by the way. I got the Phillies and the Blue Jays cover. Wow, Uh, with Mike Sealski, uh, The Rising, Kobe Bryant, mm-hmm. and other books. 
And Tyler Kepner of the New York Times uh, is going to join us. He wrote that book, K, the History of Baseball, um, through 12 pitches, and he's got a new one about the World Series. History of the World Series. Yeah, so the three of you guys are going to have some great baseball books, of course. Uh, Fransky in L.A. will be there that night. Bernie Perrant, who always gets up for these kind of things, is going to join us. We may have a visit from a, a big green furry guy, uh, ah. I think, is going to be part of it. So it is 6 to 9 p.m. June 8th at Puddler's Kitchen and Tap on DeKalb in Bridgeport. Again, to benefit Philadelphia Youth's Collaborative, Youth Sports Collaborative. And you can go home with cans, your own cans of Fransky in L.A. Bedlam at the Bank Golden Ale, which I got you some today. You did. You did. I yeah. will be doing that myself. I am looking forward to drinking it. Good. Yes. <laughs> the, the Phillies keep playing like this, Todd. You're going to need some. I, I know. That's the You know, I always say that, like, during the summer, I'm like, gosh, I wish I could go out and get a beer right now. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime you need, just give me a ring, and I'm, I'm happy to provide. All right. I appreciate that. You got it. All right, Todd, we will see you then, and thanks for joining us. See you guys. Love thanks, Joe. Right, appreciate well. it. There you go. Great. Great guy. Boy, that was depressing. Yeah, he that was, was, was not an up call, Glenn. No, let's, <laughs> let's go through it. So Trey Turner's in a horrible slump, as is all of the offense, particularly when those moments they get somebody on base. Uh, they are worried about uh, Taiwan Walker. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, he did. Todd did not hold back no. there in their concern about how he's pitching and yeah. how bad he's been. Yeah, uh, as, they, long, as well as the rest of the rotation, which, by the way, is still – only 80% full because they literally the, – tomorrow the bullpen game? Yeah. God, I hate a bullpen game. I do too. And today could be a bullpen game because the, the starter doesn't last more than three innings. I it's know. a bullpen game. Yeah. It's, All right. Uh, it ain't good. Defense? Uh, this is who they are defensively. Shaky. Yeah, Shaky. Yeah. You know, they're they're not right. a good defensive so, team. So let me ask you this because I have been thinking all along, and I suppose saying on the air too, it's still early. They're going to snap out of it. We know what they did last year. This is a team that can turn it around. They just all get hot at the same time. They're, they're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. Am I foolish to keep saying that to, to myself and others? No, I don't think you're foolish, and here's why. And I, I might have said this on the show before, too. I do think that their run in October last year caused like communal amnesia amongst the fan base and the media about how much they had struggled, relatively speaking, during the regular season. It wasn't like they went charging into the playoffs. They were losing games to the Cubs, the Stinko Cubs, in Wrigley Field just before they finally got to Houston and clinched the wild card spot. There was some angst and some agita with this team all of last year until it got into the postseason, and because they had been out of the playoffs for so long, the veil of pressure was lifted, and they started playing great, and a couple guys got hot, and Nola and Wheeler were terrific, and before you know it, they're in the World Series. So that's a long way of saying I do think they're going to get better. Trey Turner is not this bad a player. These guys are not these bad of hitters as they are. Things are going to get better. That said, the rotation to me is still the big, big concern. Yeah. So we you and I, we go out last night. Uh, you and I went out socially with our wives. Your mm-hmm. wife, Kate, charming, charming woman. Yeah, Lovely I don't know why she agreed to marry me, but she did. Well, I appreciate it. We went to uh, Bridget's up in um, Ambler. Thank you, which is a corner place. Very nice. It was terrific. Yeah, buzzing there. It and was buzzing. It was packed. I had jambalaya. You did I have had jambalaya. jambalaya since I think I was in New Orleans ten years ago. Y- you it were. Was good. Uh, it, it was spicy. You were. You yeah, were... I was sweating. <laughs> I do. So I have this condition. We got to hit a break, but that's okay. 
I have this condition when I eat spicy food, I sweat from my head. Uh, which I inherited from my dad when I, when I was a kid, and my dad would eat spicy food and sweat from his head. I would mm-hmm. laugh at him, but I do. So that's just it. Hey, uh, that's okay. It, it, I still it, like spicy food. It, it was a great night, and you had a better experience sweating through your jambalaya yeah. than I had the night before. I think I told you I was out in Princeton with friends to see a concert, and we got something to eat before the show, and I ordered a French dip sandwich, and the server brought it over, and the little container of gravy ended up in oh, my lap. That's so, right. <laughs> so you right. sweating from your, I'll take sweating yeah. from the head yeah. as opposed to gravy lap. I brought all this up for a reason. Why did I bring out the? We I don't know. This? I don't know. It was where all going. It was all going to connect to what we were talking about, but I don't know. I, I forget. <laughs> anyway, we'll think of it over the. But break we had a good time. All we right. did two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Let's talk about these Phillies. Is this the team that it was last year? And they'll turn it around. We'll be fine. Or. Is something different. We'll bring it back to the Sixers and the tumultuous week they had and what you think they should do moving into the future. We also have to bring up the latest worst trade in Flyers history, which is reaping benefits for a team that's in the playoffs Yeah, right now. Yeah, which, which ain't them. 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Mike and Glenn, 94 WIP. Now, this is interesting. The next two callers, I believe, has very uh, opposite opinions of each other. So let's let's get educated. We'll okay. Go, go to Warren and Gwynedd Valley first. Hey, Warren. How are you guys doing this morning? All right. Hi, Warren. How are you doing, Mike? Great. Um, I don't think that this is the same team that we saw last year uh, vis-a-vis with Reese Hoskins out and um, uh, what, what all is going on with – with their struggles, the change in the pitching staff, uh, Ranger Suarez, et cetera. It, it just doesn't look the same. It doesn't feel the same. Um, I, I think that's one thing that needs to be discussed, that it's just not the same team. Well, Hoskins is is obviously the big one, and, and Todd Zalecki brought up how much they miss him, and I, it's, it's hard to argue with that. Um, other than that, I don't think there's any significant pieces missing from the lineup. They've added no, a couple and, that were supposed to help. And I'll say this, Warren. They do miss Hoskins. They, they absolutely do. I wouldn't argue otherwise. But Let's talk, let's talk about pitching because we, we had starting pitching that we could rely on, but now the pitching starting is affecting our bullpen. And this is really early in the season. And when you talk about, you know, should we be alarmed or should we not be alarmed, we're not even halfway through the season, and we don't even have starting pitching, and we're not going to have relievers because they're going to be all worn out before we even get halfway through. And I'm more concerned, I think, than most. Um, I mean, you can tell me I'm not being realistic. That's perfectly Except, fine. Except, and, and you're fading out, so we're going to let you go but answer your question. It's the same personnel. Yes. It's Nola and Wheeler. Well, Suarez is out, but he's mm-hmm. back. But he's, he's back. Right. Uh, the, the guy you're missing is Zach Eflin. Uh, who's been terrific in Tampa. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean— No, he's, he's doing well, but he, a, he never set the world on fire. No, but here. he was a serviceable pitcher who had a less than 7.00 ERA <laughs> for most of his career. Yes, and it was supposed to be that Taiwan Walker was better than him. Right. We, uh, we kind of expected that. He absolutely did, yeah. To go back to the lineup quickly, I do think there is enough cushion in that lineup between Trey Turner and an improved Bryson Stott and— a Nick Castellanos who is actually, you know, hitting and producing that should be able to mitigate 
losing Reese Hoskins. The problem is Turner's not hitting well. Brandon Marsh has been slumping lately after getting off to that great start. Stodd has been slumping lately, and you've missed Bryce Harper for most of the season. So, look, I, I agree. The starting pitching is the reason to be concerned. This comes down to Dave Dombrowski, and I think you're going to have to wait to see where this team is, right? Are they going to end up trading some kind of prospect to bolster starting pitching? And does that make sense given where they're at at a particular time in the season? Do you go in like that yeah. and give up a prospect? Uh, or do you say, you Not know yet. what, we just roll with the guys we have? Not yet. Hey, to his point about the bullpen right now, Connor Brogdon, Gregory Soto, and Sir Anthony are all on pace to pitch like about 80 games. That ain't good. Which guys don't do that anymore. No, they don't. That, that's a lot. And, and uh, yeah, you could burn out your bullpen early, and that would be a problem. Yeah. Dom in Burlington, you're on with Mike and Glenn. How you doing, guys? Hey there. Hi, Dom. Just calling, uh, personally, I think we need to pump the brakes on, you know, skies falling type of thing. If we look back to last year, Cassianos is having a bad year. The guy bounces back this year. I'm thinking the same thing tra- happens to Trey Turner eventually. you got to trust the baseball card at the end of the day. He's going to come around. And now, in terms of pitching, yeah, Eflin could have been nice. But at the same time, I think we were trying to make him into a bullpen guy, especially in the playoffs last year we were trying to do that. So that's probably why he didn't come back. And then Gibson, yeah, it would be nice to have a five-inning guy. But at the same time, you got to trust in the process. I'm going to the Sixers now. That's Wait, we're trusting different. the process again? <laughs> yeah, no, 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 Dom, no. Dom, you're making Glenn start to tw- twitch oh. here. Stop, stop. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's fun. it's funny. Tyler Walker is going to come around. Yeah. Ranger Suarez is coming off an injury. And the fact of it is, it was a long October, and then some of these guys play WBC. This, this is We're only 45 games in, let's be honest, guys. So I just think things will come around eventually. I think we need to pump the brakes. I'm more with you than not. Uh, I have some concerns, and thanks. Good call. I have some concerns. Um, I think Walker is a concern. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I have faith that Turner's going to come around, yeah. hopefully before too long. Walker looks awful out there, so, like, I don't know. Yeah. It's not like he's making good pitches that are just getting punched in the open spots, Yeah, you know, in the outfield. He's not pitching well. He's walking a lot of guys. He walked 19 hitters in 41 and a third innings, which is not great. Uh, and look, it's early yet, yes, it is, and I'm more inclined to wait and see, too. I do think there is an element that in other sports, particularly the NFL, where we fixate on one game, that doesn't work as well with baseball. It just doesn't because there are 162 games. you got to take the season in chunks, and this has not been a good chunk. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're done for. Yeah, and you make the there. There are more teams in the playoffs. You make the playoffs. I'm trying to see. A lot of the teams that made the playoffs last year are not doing that well either. You're, there is yeah, the Mets plenty. have won a couple of late games. They're back at yeah, 500. Yeah, they're at 500. They're yeah. not running away with anything. The Marlins are above 500. I doubt that's going to last. Uh, let me see. Who the, else? The Pirates are four games over. Yeah, we'll see. You know, The Diamondbacks are kind of surprising. Padres there. are five below. Yeah. And I think Machado's hurt now. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you, they, they, we're okay. Yeah. Uh, a couple of things we wanted to bring up that we haven't gotten to yet. First of all, and we did mention this last weekend, so it's a little late, but, man, congratulations to Jalen Hurts, mm-hmm. who goes and get a master's degree from Oklahoma during his time off. He is such an admirable guy in every respect. I really admire Jalen Hurts as a man. To, to go back and get your degree, your master's degree, it's pretty damn impressive. You know, my colleague Jeff McClain— has been 
writing and producing and narrating a podcast series for us. Yeah, about which is the really good. It's been really I've good. enjoyed several episodes. Of and th- the latest one of those episodes is about Hertz. And he talks at length with our old pal, Marty Morningway, who was still on staff with the Eagles when they made the decision to draft Jalen Hurts. And Marty was Hurts's biggest advocate in the room uh, among the Eagles' leadership and then once Hurts got on the team, the coaching staff. And one of the things he said was people had questions about Jalen's personality because he was so serious at so young an age. Hmm. And it was kind of off-putting in a way. Like, you know, this kid's only 22. Why is he acting like this? Can this be real? Is there something (laughs) else going on here? Guess what? It's real. This is who he is. And as you said, Glenn, for him to go back and get his master's degree like that, uh, for him to have handled his rise to fame and excellence as well as he has so far, I hope for the Eagles' sake it continues uh, because the kid, the kid could own this town if he wanted to. Yeah, he, he, is, he is all that, and I, I really admire him. By the way, just a quick note, the Eagles' autism ride was today. Mm-hmm. Apparently, somebody ran a stop sign and ran into A.J. Brown, who was fine. Who Whoa. Was fine. I should start with he's fine. Uh, A.J. Brown posted, there's a video of it. He gets wiped yeah, out. Yeah, so I have, okay. Tom and I talked about it. He was on Instagram Live. He was taking a selfie video on Instagram Live, live streaming himself biking, which we could sit here and debate whether that's the smartest idea yeah, to begin probably. with. Yeah, but probably. so he was doing that. Uh, a car ran a stop sign, and he, you know, hit the brakes on his bike hard, dropped the phone, he tweeted out quickly that he's okay, but oh, people, he dropped the phone. He, he dropped the phone. Okay. He didn't actually like fall off the bike. All right, okay. he dropped the phone, but people thought that meant he toppled it over it, and was going to be appear, injured. Because I just saw the video and it does appear. It looks he like he falls tumble. over. Yeah, okay. no, he was okay. He, but he, all right, you know what the lesson of this is, guys? Get off of Instagram Live, athletes. Okay, AJ Brown, minor incident. Ja Morant, bigger incidents. Yeah. Put your phones away. Nothing ever good comes of that. No. All right, so he's fine. All right, well then, if he's fine, we're fine. All right. Uh, yes, we were going to mention uh, <laughs> there was a hockey game that went to about 2 in the morning. What was that noise you just night. made? That was that... the sigh of frustration. That You know what that noise was? That noise was my plea to Jonesy to save things. Okay. That, that's what it is. Jonesy and Danny Briere and Dan Hilfrey, who's going to run the business end of it, I am counting on you to turn around what has been a decade of frustration. The other night... The Panthers and the Hurricanes play seven periods. Yep. An 8 o'clock game ends at 2 a.m. Florida wins 3-2. to two. And the story of the game is, see if you know this name, Sergei Bobrovsky, 63 saves on 65 shots. By the way, became the first goalie in playoff history to save, uh, what is it, 50 shots in two straight games mm-hmm. while allowing two or fewer goals. Sergey Brabovsky was once upon a time a member of the Flyers. That was a decade ago. He's since that time won several Vezina trophies and starred in many, many occasions. He won He won them for John Tortorella in Columbus. Yeah. Uh, and now he's come to the Panthers, and he's been one of their stars in this postseason run. And it's another example of what might have been for the Flyers, uh, where you have a promising young goaltender, and you decide he's worth giving up, and instead he spends the next decade, it was one of the league's best at his position, and the Flyers, up until the moment they got Carter Hart, were trying to solve that problem. Yeah, and may still be, because we'll see how Carter Hart can right. do going forward. But he was a victim of the whole Brizgalov disaster. Oh, yeah. 
because he was, as you said, he's promising young goalie, but the Flyers are, you know, they want to do better. And so Ed Snyder says, get the best goalie out there. At the time, Brzgalov was a very highly rated free agent. He comes in here, and who knew he was crazy town? <laughs> and that doesn't work out. They may still be paying him for all I know. It was ginormous big mistake. Right. Glenn. They did that whole thing on HBO yeah. where he like talked about running from bears and all kinds of craziness. Um, but that was a disaster. So Bobrovsky becomes a backup. He's frustrated with that. I think he tells the organization, look, if, if you can't find time for me to play, I'm going to go back to Russia. Mm-hmm. So as you said, they trade him to Columbus, and he is still a star. That is, we don't talk about that trade. It is one of the worst trades in the history of this town. Glenn, he literally won the Vezina Trophy as the league's best goaltender his first full season as a starter yeah. in Columbus. Yeah. They traded him in 2012, the Flyers. The following season, he is the Vezina Trophy winner. Yeah. That's I true. mean, and he's been every bit that good since. Yeah. All right. All right. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. That's the most we got hockey to talk about. Yeah, it's, it's really coming it. back. I, mean, I got faith in Jonesy and Briere. Help us, Jonesy. One, you're our only hope. Yeah. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Mike Sealski, Glenn Macknow. We'll get a call or two. Uh, find out we forgot to talk with Dan Wilson and hand it off. Uh, Go Birds Radio, both boys in today. Uh, Rob Ellis in for James. Rob Ellis in for James. Always enjoy listening to Rob. Next on ninety four WIP. Mike Sealski, Glenn Macknow, 94 WIP. Let's go to our pal Lou, Mount Laurel. How are you, Lou? Hey, Glenn. Perfect uh, perfect call to follow up at, uh, with your, your hockey talk. Yeah. We just timed reminder, it up for you, Lou. I just, just a reminder, I worship at the altar of Glenn Macknow. I appreciate that <laughs> um, very much. Glenn, how, By the way, hold how? on. We, we were talking earlier before the show, Lou, Mike and I, about youth sports and dumb things we've seen. See. Yes, and, and and you were one as a as a young lad, but yes, absolutely. Yep, yep. <laughs> and then and then you found then your way. Glenn Father Flanagan, you back onto the right path. <laughs> I saw the path. I saw the path. It was the way. It was the he, uh, he was the uh, he was Yoda to you. And yeah. now exactly he was. <laughs> and now um, you are an esteemed and respected educator. Correct. Absolutely. I love absolutely. that. Love it, Glenn. Do you think the NHL is looking at this going for the love of God? Dallas, Florida, Vegas, and um, Carolina, Carolina are the four teams left. Like, I, they have to be looking at this going, my God. I, I hate it more than anybody in the world. I believe oh. that hockey should be banned beneath the Mason-Dixon line, that it should not exist. Maybe Dallas, maybe L.A., the rest of them have to go away. And the fact, again, there's no Canadian team. The Leafs went no. out in the second round, and that's it. Yeah, I want hockey to to do well in its roots, and it does. Yeah, I do. I do too. And I, I'll tell you what's killing me. You're right, Bobrovsky. Then you're hearing, you're seeing Nick Cousins score the game winner the other day. Good is still performing. Gossip Bear with a resurgence in Carolina, which that makes surprised me, think, me. Yeah, yeah. It's got, it, there's got to be now that they, they get some new blood and some new opinions. I, I'm really, I'm optimistic. I really like, like, um, like you said, I love that line. Yeah, the Jonesy Juan Kenobi. He is our only hope. So <laughs> we are hoping for him. I love that line. Yeah, I like, mean. Look, they, they, it can't get any worse, Lou. Thank you um, Thanks, Lou. for the call. Well, thank you, guys. It, it, it can't get any worse than it's been. And I think the fact that Danny Briere and Keith Jones might have some fresh ideas and some new ways to go about building a team uh, is reason enough to be curious about what's going to happen with the Flyers.
Do you share my disdain of hockey but no, but in, in warm weather cities? It, it doesn't hold my interest in, in, to the degree that the towns that love really, really love hockey do. Um, now, look, Dallas has been kind of surprising over yeah, the years in its yeah. support of the Stars. Yeah, and I'll give it to Dallas. It's a huge metropolitan area with yeah. a lot of people from the Northeast. Yeah, sure, but, fine. Um, but no. generally, no. Like, I, there's a part of me that would like to see the Toronto Maple Leafs make yeah, a run. Yeah, I did. Uh, I was rooting for them. You know, the Canadians and yes. the Oilers and the Flames and all of those teams because those people care. All right, one trivia question before we find out what we forgot to talk about. Okay. Name the player who scored the Stanley Cup winning goal the last time a Canadian-based hockey team won the Stanley Cup. Well, it's either um, Eric Desjardins or John LeClaire. Number two, John LeClaire. LeClaire, yeah. Nicely done. He had those two overtime winners in yep. that series. Yep. Yeah. John LeClaire is the last player to score. That was 1993 when the Canadians <laughs> played the Los Angeles Kings. Oh, my God almighty. Yeah. yeah. That's I mean think about it. that's 30 years since the Canadian franchise has won the Stanley Cup. Yeah, that's bad for the league. Yep. Anyway, all right, let us find out what we forgot to talk about today with our steam producer one Dan Wilson. Yeah, so I'll start I'll go a little out of order here just to kind of piggyback off that hockey conversation. Uh, the hockey mecca of the world, as everyone knows, is Miami, Florida, uh, where they're up 1-0 uh, in, the, East, in the Eastern me. Conference yeah. Finals. Miami is the mecca of sports right now. Well, the, well so that's what I'm going to that's what I'm going to get to. So it's got to be. I know Miami, not exactly the same passionate sports town that Philadelphia is, but like imagine doing sports talk there right now. Every other day, there's a conference final of either team. Yeah, and it's scheduled out perfectly. Uh, Jimmy Butler was wearing a Florida Panthers jersey at practice the other day. I don't know if you saw that. Kind of no, cool. Good for yeah. him. Uh, so it seems like the support there is at least somewhat mutual. Uh, so the city of Miami, yeah, it's just. And I, I can you guys think of any other? I know the Rangers and the Knicks, Knicks. both made it that one time, and they almost both did it. Has there ever been? two teams like this close other than them to winning basketball hockey the same year because they could have parades within days of each other nothing that leaps to mind 94 with the Knicks and the Rangers uh definitely uh comes to mind they both went to game seven yeah that was a long time ago yeah um I'm trying to think there might have been an overlap with the Celtics and the Bruins with 2011 they had so many damn parades up there probably happened yeah at some point, Celtics but- didn't win the I, had like a down year, but that, you're though. right. I mean those those two teams, both in the conference finals, they're living large. Yes. By the way, the Marlins are above 500. And talk about two remarkable runs to the conference finals. I mean, the Heat were the yeah. eighth seed in they, the play-in they, tournament. They, they lost their first play-in game. Yeah. Two. All right. Was it, the Bulls or the Hawks? And it, then the Panthers knocked yeah, the, the I, Bruins. Out. I saw Eric Spolstra compliment what a great idea the play-in tournament was this week. I'm like, no kidding. Yeah, yeah I'm sure he loves it. Um, meanwhile, LeBron once said the guy who invented it should be fired, and they're also in the conference finals out of the play-in tournament. Uh, I wanted to ask you this, Mike. I mean, both of you, but specifically Mike, since you know he's around the team at practice uh, and was at Game Seven. So this week, the Sixers fired Doc Rivers, and I don't think we hit on it a ton. Like Joel Embiid clearly had a relationship with him, didn't mm-hmm. seem to be appeased by this move is there a disconnect between the front office and Joel Embiid at the moment like did Embiid know this was coming what was your read on that based on what Daryl Morey said he told Joel in their confab at the end of the season that he was going to do this and this had to be done Joel had a really tight relationship with Brett Brown too uh, and he had one obviously with Doc Uh, is it a problem I don't know that it's a problem because I think there's Part of Joel's personality is such that uh, he's going to get along with the coach, you know. Now, which is different from most stars in the NBA. Yeah, and I, th- but I also think that gets back to what Glenn and I talked about at the beginning of the show: is does he have that 
edge, that dog to him, when push comes to shove, he's just going to say, I'm the man, get out of my way, coach, the way Jimmy Butler did with Brett Brown at times and the way he's done throughout his career. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that he does. That, that needs to be proven, and I don't know if a coach can put it there. Yeah, I'm not sure he can either. Uh, uh, I got a quick Philly stat for you. Uh, by my count, I believe they've used five pitchers in 20 games so far this season through 44 of them. Yeah. Uh, so that's not great. Uh, tomorrow they're also going to have to make a 40-man move just to get through the game. <sighs> and, and kind of ironic that the week Doc Rivers leaves town and they almost have a scheduled loss, the Phillies do here. Oh, a little ode to him. They can't afford a scheduled loss. No, they really point. can't. Yeah. Uh, and then re- one really quick note on Peacock, and I'll give credit to Joe Giglio because he texted me during the show. Uh, they locked in the time slot. Peacock has bought the Saturday 8.30 game, so it's not going to be one of those early afternoon games. They're going to oh, get man. a marquee matchup. Man. Saturday night? Yeah, on got... Peacock. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, I, I will watch if it's a game I care about. It, it depends on what the game is. I'm, I'm not inclined if I'm home on that Saturday night to watch that, to to spend my entire time on Peacock yeah, that night a, watching that game. There's a lot because of what games. if it gets to be boring? Then I'm going to Should clarify, anyone who has Xfinity can get this for free, like with the voice remote, but still, it's annoying. Yeah, but if you point. don't, then... Then you don't. I, mean, I know right. you can get it through Apple TV and get it through other ways. It's... It's an added step. It doesn't help the NFL to make it harder for people to watch the games and to make it that certain people can't watch the games. Yeah. There are people who don't do, who aren't able to do it. Again, my dad. I know the NFL doesn't care about my dad. I, if it's the Bills, then dad, come on my house. We'll have chicken wings. We'll watch the game. I, I feel like the NFL, is its popularity is at least based in part on routine and ritual, and it's getting away from that. All right. You got one more? Are we good? Uh, we're good. That was okay. my whole uh, – All right, Mike Sielski, when you and I see each other next Saturday, mm-hmm. will the Sixers have a new coach by then? No. No. Okay. They will not. All right. And if we're setting odds, the next coach of the Sixers will be? Nick Nurse. Yeah, I agree. I hope so. I'd be fine if, with any of those top three. How long until they guys. announce it officially in your mind? Uh, I'd say probably a week and a half, two weeks. Okay. All right. Well, That's my guess. We shall see. All right. So coming up, let's see. We got Rob Ellis, and Rob is with Rob Ellis and Elliot Shore Parks. Elliot Shore, at Parks. At Parks. Uh, and they're doing Go Birds, which leading into Phillies. Phillies Cubs at 4 o'clock. Scheduled win. Even without Trey Turner one, yeah. in the, ro- in yeah, the lineup, yeah. uh, scheduling a win. That would be nice. All right, man. I will see you next week. See nice ya. job, Dan Wilson, everybody. Enjoy your afternoon right here on 94 WIP. Hey, you're tired of dealing with those old, inefficient windows in your house? Maybe it's time to go Guida. How about that drafty, beat-up-looking entry door you've painted over more times you can count? Well, go Guida. If you need added protection from the elements with a new storm door, go Guida. What about that sliding patio door, the garage door you've been meaning to replace? Go Guida. Whatever your home improvement needs are, I suggest you go Guida with the great people at Guida Door and Window. To help get your project started, Guida is offering 20% off all windows and doors while allowing you to start your project with no money down and up to three full years to pay it off interest-free. That's right. Receive 20% instant savings with the luxury of paying off your project interest-free for up to 36 months. Restrictions apply. Offers for a limited time. So what are you waiting for? It's time you finally go Guida. Call today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A dot com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? 
Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.